Um, let's just dive right in. Let's start with something hugely important. Let's talk about my Synology. <laughs> A lot of people have written in and, uh, and asked me with regard to my, um, my computer woes, and I'm putting woes in humongous air quotes there. Um, what, why, why is it I'm so preoccupied with having a computer that will be good at running Plex when I have a Synology, specifically a DS1813 Plus, sitting right next to me as we speak that can host Plex? Why am I complaining and moaning about having a computer to do that? Well, the reason is that at least as of six months or maybe a year ago now, when I was running Synology, running Synology, running Plex on my Synology, um, what ended up happening was anytime I tried to do a live transcode of just about anything, it just ground to a screeching halt and it couldn't keep up with the transcode. Now, it could be that things have gotten better over time. It could be that I didn't have my settings squared away because to um, Marco's point, you know, generally speaking, Plex is pretty maintenance-free, but it can get a little fiddly on occasion. Um, so it very well could be user error. But one way or another, my experience with the 1813 Plus running Plex is that it just cannot transcode quick enough. And thus, I need a full-bore computer to do it. Now, there are other Synology models that absolutely can transcode really well on the fly. Um, the one that I have, in my experience anyway, was not it. Now, the other question is, okay, well, why, why do you have to transcode in the first place? Why don't you just, you know, have uh, what MPEG-4 video or whatever it is all over the place? Well, let's just say that not all of my media is consistent, and I'll leave it at that. I could take Don Melton's scripts and transcode everything, um, but that takes a long time because I don't have a trash can Mac Pro, and I'm too darn lazy. So that is why I'm not using Plex on my Synology. I have the same Synology, and it's not, I mean, it's its a fairly wimpy CPU in there. It's not great at transcoding, but I haven't really run Plex on it. I use Synology's native video serving thing. Is that any good? It transcodes fine. Like, uh, either it can't transcode it at all, which very rarely happens, but does occasionally happen where it just can't make heads or tails of it, and it says, like, you know, file unreadable or whatever. I mean, some, some error message is basically like, I can't make heads or tails of this. But most of the stuff that I find, some pretty weird stuff, you know, weird MKVs of unknown origins, right? <laughs> uh, it transcodes them. 1080p, you know, you can't do anything fancy like scrub around in the video. Like, don't, like you, all you can do is play from the beginning, essentially. But it can keep up. It doesn't drop frames. Um, so it could just be Plex is not taking advantage of the hardware in the same way that the thing that comes with Synology is. And in general, when I've looked at like Plex and all the other sorts of things, Synology is like... I think they call it DS Video. They have an iOS app. They have a they have a little server thing. Um, my TV with no software installed, just the the quote unquote smart uh, features of my TV. Uh, it sees it just as a DLNA server. It's not fancy. It's not pretty. It doesn't show you the cover art for your things and have a bunch of metadata and do all the stuff that Plex does. But it has a fairly high rate of being able to play the video in a straight line from beginning to end as long as you don't touch anything. Oh, well, uh, maybe I'll have to try that out. I mean, I freaking love Plex with all my being. Um, it, I do like all the metadata it gives you. I do think, despite what Marco's experience has been, that it's very, very easy 99% of the time. The only problem with Plex is that you really have to name things the way they expect you to name things. But if you do, and you're okay with that, then you don't ever have to look at the names of anything because 
um, it, it's all, uh, you know, with the cover art and with the full metadata, just like you were saying, John, I really love it, but it may be worth giving this thing a try just to see. And I think it's the, um, the play series, the DS two fourteen play is the one I can think of off the top of my head that the Synology makes that I believe has some onboard hardware to do some of this transcoding, but our Synologies do not. Um, so just something to uh, consider. I, I have one of those play ones too, and it does claim to have hardware stuff and you can turn it on. But I think when you turn it on the hardware decoding, like it reduces the amount of things that it's able to transcode on the fly. Like it, the hardware decoding is like, you know, understands some particular formats and some particular bit rates or whatever that's i don't know if that's true but that's been my impression because when i check that checkbox all of a sudden a bunch of other stuff doesn't play um and when i uncheck it uh everything still plays fine and so i don't see what the advantage is it's not as if checking it makes something that i couldn't previously play play better everything plays fine in software mode so i just leave the hardware thing unchecked if only the new apple tv played mkv files natively We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, if there is a uh, if there's a Plex app for the Apple TV, which I got to assume there will be, I'm gonna have to. That's that genuinely that will probably make me buy one. Although I will say that I do love my Fire TV stick; it does work really well. Mm, yeah, well, put add that to the note so you don't forget to to crush your uh, Plex dreams for Apple TV later. <laughs> All uh, right. Follow up since you went to the last follow up item first. Now we're all out of order here, so we'll go to the first. The first follow-up item, second, from Michael Hammond. He was the first person to point out that in the last show when I was trying to uh, talk about the things that Apple is not going to do when they do the S revision of their phones. Like, it's not a total hardware redesign. It's just like like the previous phone, but S-ier. Uh, the, exa- <laughs> the example I gave was uh, they're not going to do something like Touch ID, but of course, Touch ID did debut on an S phone. Brain fart, sorry. So <laughs> never mind that example. Uh, neither one of you caught it either. Um, nope. Yeah, we forget. We're oh, right. I just, I wanted to see if you knew. Oh, I mean, I knew as soon as it was pointed out to me, like, duh, yeah, that was a stupid example. And then I, and then I of course, I doubted, did I actually say that? And then you listen back to the show and say, yeah, I did. Stupid. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Michael Hammond won the race. He was the first one. Um, <laughs> and then a million other people told me, which is fine. Oh, this next piece of follow-up is me. Um, we've talked on and off about the crescent moon on the uh, front of the iPhone 6 and maybe even 6 Plus. Uh, I wanted to remind everyone, I tweeted about this a little while ago, that uh, your warranty, if you did not buy Apple Care, probably runs out in the next 10 or so days if you got a launch day iPhone 6. Um, I have scheduled a Genius Bar appointment for this coming Sunday, uh, I believe about midday, and so I'm going to go into the Genius Bar to see about them replacing either the screen or the entire phone. Um, I have heard from numerous people through the internet um I've heard that they will completely give you a new phone, which I think is actually refurbished, strictly speaking, but they'll give you, give you a phone that's new to you. I've heard that they'll give you or repair the screen, like give you a whole new screen assembly. And I've heard they'll tell you, well, it doesn't affect the pictures, so screw off. And I don't know. I guess every every person's experience is a little bit different. I will report back on what my experience is, but I will find out Sunday. Um, additionally, I'm told as per Lane W that to get this fixed out of warranty is $109. Um, I don't know if that is um, inclusive of Apple Care or not, but it's something to think about. So if you have one of these Crescent Moon um, iPhone issues, I would strongly suggest you go and get that checked out in the next week or so. Uh, Ashish Gandhi uh, gave some clarification on the whole thing about uh, the SVG icon for the pin tab in Safari 9. 
Um, why were there two different uh, instructions? I think we put them both in last week's show notes. Uh, it turns out that uh, there was only one. One of them was old. One of them was new. It was difficult to tell which was which. We'll put links in the show notes that clear it up. The real one that Apple wants you to use now is the one that says link rel equals mask hyphen icon. That is the real one. That is the good one. That's the one you have to put in. I have to go to my site and delete the other one now that I know which one is fake. Uh, and there's also a link to a thread in Apple's developer forums and a mailing list uh, archive on one of the uh, what WG mailing lists from the W3 uh, explaining the evolution of this thing. But anyway, it's link rel equals mask hyphen icon in case you were wondering. All right. Our first sponsor this week is Cards Against Humanity. And rather than reading a normal sponsor read, they asked John to review a toaster. Syracuse are talking about toasters. More exciting than a roller coaster. Will it fit on his countertop? I hope the reviews never stop. John, what is this week's toaster? I had a weird one this week uh, because I've never heard of this brand before. And I think this is the first one we've ever had of this brand. You guys can tell me this is Rosewill, all one word, no capital W. This is the RHT0. Oh, no, I guess it's got to be an O. RHTO. Yes, it is an O. Uh, hyphen 13001. Another name with O's and zeros in it. But at least they're separated by hyphen. This is, I think, the biggest toaster i've ever tested it is really <laughs> really really big it is bigger in all dimensions than what i thought was my pretty big uh breville 650 xl toaster they sell it on Newegg. i don't know where it came from and in, they just arrive at my house and in particular <laughs> it is really really tall and i don't understand why it's so tall it is the tallest toaster i've ever seen in my life it is taller than any toaster i've ever seen in a store it's taller than the really big breville's tall, like I don't understand why it's so tall. The, the, the manual that it comes with is very thin. Um, it doesn't give any reason for it to be so darn tall in it. You would think like, oh, it's you, so you can fit an entire chicken in there. Like vertically, maybe? Like why, why is it so <laughs> tall? Like I think the proportions of all the other toasters, like if you have a chicken that is too tall to fit in one of the other toasters I've tested, it's not going to fit lengthwise. You know, like the proportions. Of, anyway, it is inexplicably tall and it just dominates the counter that it's on. All right, so that's the first weird thing about it. Um, some standard things about it. It's another three-knob toaster, three knobs that all have to be in the right position for anything to happen. You've got a temperature knob on top that goes from 0 to 450, although the manual says that it has a max setting. It doesn't. It just stops at 450. Anyway, turn it all the way to the right. Then you've got a function knob with toast on one end and like a warming function on the other, and then you've got a timer knob that turns to the right for a little ticking timer and turns to the left for the stay-on mode. I don't know who decided this three-knob arrangement is a good idea, but it, it appears to be the most common, and it's terrible because it's like, you know, all three knobs have to be in the right position for you to do anything right. And it will gladly, like, you'll turn the little toast knob to, uh, you know, whatever to try to toast. If you don't have the other knobs in the right position, it will gladly just sit there and tick away the lights on. There's nothing tells you that it's not actually toasting your bread until you come back two minutes later and go, why isn't this bread getting brown? Uh, or actually, in this case, for four and a half minutes. It's about four and a half minutes to toast, which is... Pretty good considering the cavern that you have to put the bread into. <laughs> to do it's like it's so lonely there. Uh, this has three positions for the rack, and it has a U-shaped rack that you can flip over. Uh, but the U-shape like is only like a centimeter difference between up and down, maybe two centimeters. Anyway, again, what what difference does two centimeters up or down make in this giant toaster? that's like a foot tall. I don't understand. It's got two uh, unguarded elements on the bottom, two uh, unguarded elements on the top. Um, uh, crumb tray slides out reasonably well the door the massive massive door has a weird curve to it 
it opens all the way. It doesn't feel like it's bending or breaking. The whole thing, here's the, here's the, the, the thing that I'm still puzzling over about this toaster. The whole toaster feels like it's not high-end, so it's not like trying to be shiny or glossy or like have the controls feel good, but it's not chintzy either. Like nothing wiggles when it shouldn't. Uh, you know, it's like exactly middle of the road. Very sort of straightforward, Fisher-Price competent. Every part of it is <laughs> not loose, but like it, it just, it has an air of like competence to it. Then I don't know, I'm associating it with this Rosewell brand that I've never heard of. By the way, it's apparently New Egg's generic brand. Just please don't email us. Yeah, that makes some sense, like in a, a New Egg style thing, where like, if you buy something from, from New Egg, it's like a, an off-brand, or like Monoprice, you know, where it's like, it's not really name brand, but it's also not terrible. Um, I don't know. It's very strange. So the knobs, they feel kind of gritty and a little bit stiff, but they don't feel like they're going to fall off in your hands. They do their knob job well. They have a little marking. <laughs> they have little markings on them so you can see where they're pointing. They ter- like, they're just standard knobs. They don't do any of the terrible mistakes the other ones try to do. The door feels a little bit too big and too loose, but it doesn't wiggle. It doesn't twist in its thing. It just opens and closes fine. I still think the toaster is just way too big. And four and a half minutes is, is like the sort of the average, a little bit too slow toaster. I think it's just too long to, to wait. But if you like to toast really big things, I guess really tall stuff, it it does an okay job. Like for, for a giant toaster, like I, I, it just feels like a waste of space to me. But I can't find anything terribly wrong with it in terms of the big toasters that take a long time to toast bread. It seems okay. I didn't look at the prices. I always forget to look at the price because they just arrive, and I don't know. Like it's a hundred bucks. Whoa! All right, now I've changed my opinion on this thing. <laughs> this is not a hundred dollar toaster. Do not buy this toaster for a hundred dollars. I'm going to be like, if it was like fifty or sixty, fine. Hundred dollars, mm, I would get the smaller uh, Black and Decker three knob thing or something. Well, the hundred dollar price does match up with what you just said about how it's kind of in the middle between low end and high end. Where, you know, the high-end toasters like your Breville are like 180, and then we've had a lot of good ones that are like 40 or 50. Yeah, but I, th- I feel like the best $50 one we had is better than this, because it's just so big and so slow. Like, I, I just felt like the quality of it was, it was like, it felt like using a monoprice toaster. Like, it, which, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not name brand, it's not quite right, it's a little bit off. The plastic is a little bit of the wrong material. And like I said, the, the, the really long toast time, if you're going to use it mostly for toasting things, this is not the toaster for you. It's all black, which I think is reasonably tasteful after some of the weirder toasters that we had. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you see it on sale. See it at woot.com for 80 bucks. Pick it up. But but really, take the measurements first. You know, go into your kitchen and measure it out and see if it'll even fit underneath your countertop be, or underneath your cabinets because it is huge. <laughs> Do you think... Maybe this is for somebody who wants to toast an entire dozen of bagels at once vertically. <laughs> like just stacking like, you know. That's like, what I'm saying. Like it has so much space, but it doesn't give you any like holders or anything to use that space. It also comes with a circular thing like for pizza or whatever, which is weird because it doesn't even have much of a bump on the back of it. Uh, and the trays that it come with are also sort of similarly middle of the road. It comes with a lot of accessories. It's got the big tray. That's got the thing that goes inside the tray. Then it's got the circle thing. Uh... I don't know. This this is inscrutable. I mean, I think we'll have to get more of these Rosewill ones to see to to get the number of this manufacturer. But hundred dollars seems steep to me. And honestly, I don't understand a person. Maybe a giant person. Maybe like someone who is like an NBA player or an NFL player who's just much bigger than regular people. That this is a proportional toaster for them, and they just buy very tall bread. I don't know. Syracuse, 
Thanks a lot to Cards Against Humanity for sponsoring our show this week once again. Okay, so some things have happened today. We are out of August, and news is happening once again. We have made it through the dark days, and now we are back in the light. So there was an Apple keynote today, uh, and it was a busy one. There was a lot going on. How long was it all told? Like two and a half hours, something like that? I mean, it's a long and busy keynote. And so I, I guess the understanding is that this is the last keynote we're going to see from Apple this calendar year. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, like like John Gruber was, was predicting beforehand that, you know, this doesn't make sense. It's too much stuff. They always have two uh, or they have for a long time. And, and that was correct. I think one thing that is very clear from this um, is that they they didn't want to relegate anything to a secondary keynote. And one thing that didn't make any appearance at all is El Capitan and anything about the Mac. Like the Mac, like I, I think there was like some some like Easter egg somewhere where like on a screenshot on one of the demos, it said that it's coming out on September 30th. But that was it. Yeah, that was an email, an email in uh, Federici's uh, iPhone. And he was doing the, I, I already forgot the term, but he was doing like the quick look for the message. And it said, oh, it's coming out on the 30th. P.S. Top secret. Right, exactly. So, like, but other than that, you know, there was really no mention of the Mac in today's keynote because honestly, there wasn't room for it. Um, and I think maybe you know we've we've we keep waiting for Skylake, right? And and we we keep hearing Skylake is coming soon ish. You know, anytime between now and six months from now, <laughs> everyone keeps saying. Uh, I think this is kind of confirmation that either we're not going to see any Skylake stuff from Apple for the rest of the year, or it'll be so minor that it'll just be like a website update. You know. Um, so I wouldn't expect much on the Mac front for the rest of the year besides the release of El Capitan. You know, maybe this, maybe this 4K iMac comes out, but you know, that honestly in this event, there was no room for that. Uh, the 4K iMac is not a big deal. It's a, it's a mid range product. It isn't a high end product. It's barely, it's not even really a redesign as far as we know. So, you know, the Mac is, is conspicuously missing here, but I, I think that's, I think Apple really wanted to, give a boost to their other things that aren't the iPhone. You know, they talked a little bit about the watch. We'll get to that. Um, they wanted to launch the new iPad Pro uh, and the new Apple TV. These are major new product launches that, as far as I know, I mean, you'll have to, I will have to ask people who have like, worked for big sites. As far as I know, the, the iPhone event every year is always the biggest event audience-wise. Um, it seems like way more people watch the iPhone event every year than the other Apple live streams. Uh, and so... If Apple wants to give things the best chance, this is like you know going between Friends and Seinfeld. Like this, this is the <laughs> slot that like you know you can put anything uh, in front of the iPhones at this event, and and it'll get a lot of exposure, uh, even more so than Apple's usual stuff, uh, which is already a lot of exposure. So you know they want they wanted to give the iPad Pro, the Apple TV, and the Watch the biggest boost they can leading into the holiday season. So uh, it, it makes sense that they did it this way. However, I mean I don't know about you guys. I am totally overwhelmed by this. I don't even know. I mean, I guess we, we can just go chronologically, but I don't. We're not going to be able to cover all this even in one show. I mean, our podcast is shorter than the keynote. Uh, occasionally, yeah. Well, I think we'll <laughs> we'll hit all the the highlights. I think we'll come vi revisit a lot of these things because, again, recording this the day the keynote happened. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't have much time to research all these things because the keynote ended, and you know, picking kids up and making dinner. Like I didn't, you know. So this is the same thing we do after WWC: get overwhelmed with a bunch of information, see a big thing, and then talk about it. So I'm sure we'll. I think we. That's why I put them all in the notes. I think we'll be able to hit all of them. And then towards the end, once we've gone through all of them, we can get bogged down in details and follow up on that next week. 
as for the Mac stuff that you were mentioning, uh, I, I think it's it's understandable because the only Mac thing that they could possibly have to announce was uh, El Cap, which we've seen a million times before. I don't think there are any surprises there. And even if they had any new hardware, it would be exactly the kind of thing to get cut for space. And they had tons of other stuff, and they're only doing one show, and so that stuff gets cut. Uh, it's not much of a slight because all they would have been doing is demoing things we've already seen and showing us hardware that does not surprise us in any way, which would be nice. You know, it's a nice announcement. Oh, look, the new Macs are out and here are their features. And I wonder which chips they put in them. I wonder what the prices are. But other than that, there's nothing like, you know, one of the Macs comes with a, a pencil or something, you know. So it's, uh, it just <laughs> if you just rank things in priority order and cut off it to the two hour mark, all the Mac related stuff happens to fall off the bottom. Uh, which I think is fine. You know, like I think the Mac got a lot of uh, screen time at WWDC, um, it, you know, disproportionate to the amount of money that it makes Apple and the amount of Macs that they sell and, you know, all out of proportion with everything else. Uh, this was not the show for the Macs. This is the show for, for the other stuff. So I, I thought it was fine and I didn't think the Mac got slighted in any way. All right. So let's start with the watch. Um, New Apple Watch stuff. Yeah, there's some new colors for the Apple Watch. Um, I was actually hugely disappointed that the rose, well, no, not rose gold. What are they called? Yeah, rose gold, the pink one, um, that that wasn't a thing when the watch came out because I think Aaron would have loved that. That being said, when I tried to quickly rewatch the um, keynote this afternoon, Aaron seemed very unimpressed by it, so I'm not sure if she really would have loved it. But typically, she likes that kind of pink, that very like soft pink. Um, she loved her pink razor, which I think we've talked about in, in parts in the past. Um, not to say the pink is only for girls, but uh, the girl that I know best happens to really like pink, and so that's why I bring it up. Um, there's the new bands by Hermes. Is that right? I believe it's Hermes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I was trying really hard to remember, but that's okay. I didn't know that before today. <laughs> Neither did I. I would have said Hermes until today. <laughs> yeah. So there's new bands. Uh, clearly not targeted to me because I think the one that wraps double around your wrist looks absolutely ridiculous and it seems like it would be a pain in the butt to put on. So obviously not for me. Pain in the butt to put on has no bearing on fashion. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Second of all, yeah, I've been told by my expert wife that that is very much in fashion right now. Yeah, well, as, I mean, as it, have you seen? Did you see the giant cuff for men? You see that? Yeah, I don't understand that. It's like you're being shackled to your watch. Like this watch, the strap is not enough to hold it to my wrist. I need something bigger. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> this is this is way beyond our understanding because this is high fashion, and we are not high fashion. Maybe maybe it blocks bullets. <laughs> Wonder Woman. <laughs> is that a Wonder Woman reference? Is that, that right? is. Oh, look you, at me. You guys are too young for that show. Yeah, well, there's that. Okay, so uh, new colors, new bands, uh, brief mention of watchOS 2. I got to tell you, as a quick aside, I'm really freaking stoked for um, for custom complications or third-party complications. I actually am intending to write a blog post about this if and when I ever have a chance to breathe. But I can think of a handful of apps that I would love to have custom complications for. And what is the face that has no analog portion to it? The modular? Yeah, I believe so. Um, so the modular face, I think it's aesthetically hideous. Um, but if the right set of complications uh, came out, I would probably switch to that. Uh, I am really, really uh, stoked for watchOS 2. Have you done much with Overcast for watchOS 2? I, I, really, I don't know if I should say this or not. I literally haven't started. <laughs> well you're gonna have a busy fall i'd say yeah i mean because it, it's mostly because 
the more I use the watch, and I don't want to go too far into this now because we have a lot, we have a lot of other stuff to talk about. But basically, the more I use the watch, the less interested I am in running apps on it. Uh, I re- like, and I really like the watch, and I use it. I use it every day. I'm always wearing it. I, I love the activity tracking. I love the notifications. I love so much about the watch in reality, but I don't love the apps on it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think this is a very common opinion of it where, you know, people people keep going on and on about how the watch is going to replace... Well, before the watch came out, people went on and on about how it's going to replace phones. And, and I was a little skeptical about that. And I think my skepticism has proven to be correct that I don't think watches can replace phones i think anyone who has one of these smartwatches will probably agree with that that it, it isn't an issue of like oh just wait a couple of years and the hardware will be so much better it's literally just like the ergonomics and the the physical sides of things just don't work out that well um it the watch is really cool for a lot of things but being a general purpose app platform isn't one of those things uh, as far as i'm concerned now there, there are a lot of things that could be done better that would improve the, the situation. Uh, with watchOS 2, custom complications, I think they're, they're making a lot of headway into that. But I also think that when Apple designed the watch, I think they made a bunch of mistakes uh, with the UI and, and the software structure. And, and uh, I would have made it a lot simpler, honestly. And we talked, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far into this. We'll talk about it on, on another show. But uh, I would have basically done only the watch face complications and notifications and glances and not have the home screen not have apps that are like these navigation hierarchy trees or that that are really meant to do anything beyond a few seconds long um so anyway i haven't started work on overcast for the watch in part because it isn't a high priority for me as a user of overcast that the watch app i have now works okay uh, when I get a chance, I'm going to do the watchOS 2 app. I, I'm not going to tackle trying to play things directly from the watch with no phone nearby uh, anytime soon because I looked into it at WBDC and it's basically it's extremely uh, limited in what you can do, extremely challenging. And I think, honestly, it would kind of suck uh, the, just the reality of you know, moving these files back and forth. Like, you know, how many people do you know now with the watch? who sync music over to it and listen on Bluetooth headphones while they jog. Like, I, I don't know anybody. I mean, I know you can do that, and I know people want that, but I don't know anybody who's actually tried it and has wanted to do it more than once <laughs> just because it's so it's so um, cumbersome to transfer data back and forth. And, I mean, I barely even know enough people who have Bluetooth headphones who could even do it at all. But anyway, so I've been focused with Overcast on streaming, 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 and getting 2.0 out the door. And so I'm working on that. The reality is almost all of Overcast's customers are using it on an iPhone. Very few of them even have an Apple Watch. Very few of them use it on the iPad. And none of them have an Apple TV yet. That matters. Um, so that's where I'm focusing my efforts on the iPhone app right now. And then once I finish 2.0, which should be very soon, then I can branch out to these other platforms and start figuring out what might make sense there. But for now, I haven't even touched it. All right. Well, that's... Surprising, but uh, I am curious to see how that goes once you start really um, digging into the OS2 version. And I'm going to call it OS2 forevermore because I want <laughs> nice. to. I mean, honestly, like I hardly ever launch the Overcast app on my watch. I, I, I almost never use it. Like that's that I think, and I think that's that's kind of a problem for you know me as the developer. Um, but I, I, I hear from people when I ask people who use the app, I, I hear from them similar things that. 
it just isn't as useful as we thought it would be for that kind of role. Now, for all the other things, for, like for the things I mentioned, notifications, time stuff, watch face complications, uh, glances, it's, it's very good at those things, except glances. Uh, <laughs> it's very good at the other parts of those things. If that's all it ever does, that's still a really nice device for a lot of people, myself included. I'm still very happy I bought it for all those reasons. If, I, if it never runs an app in like the typical, like, you know, go back to the honeycomb screen, find the icon, launch the icon, do some things in the app. If I never do that again with the watch, I'll be fine with this product. Hmm, that's interesting. There's not a lot of watch apps that I use, but the ones I use, I do quite like. I really like Fantastical. I really like this Baby Connect app that we're probably not going to be using much longer because Declan's getting quite a bit older now. Um, Dark Sky is good. Yeah, that's about it. When I'm traveling, there's some others that I use, but that doesn't happen terribly often. John, what are you are you using any third-party apps for your watch, really? I don't use apps much either, but I find myself still forgetting and being frustrated by the fact that the, the watch is so much less useful without the phone. Like, if I don't have my phone in my pocket, I'm just wearing my watch. Oh, that's right. I'm not going to get text messages. I'm not going to see when, like... You know, a, 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 a new uh, calendar. Well, I guess I'll see the calendar rents if they synced. But like the, the, the communication, like that it, that it does all its communication through the phone. And that once you are, if you leave your phone at your desk and you go to a meeting, uh, I will not see if my wife texts me something. And and I forget that that's the case. I forget that the because you start using it for those for those roles where it's like you're sort of on the wrist tapping you notice notifications of things going on. You start to believe that the watch is its own thing. You're like, I just need my watch. I don't need to take my phone out of my pocket. But then you're like, I don't even need my phone. And you do. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to seven years from now when it can do all those same things that Marco described, but not rely on the phone for all of them. And maybe it'll be more than seven years. Uh, because because for those func- for that functionality, a lot of the times that's all I need out of it. I don't need to be launching apps on my phone or surfing the web. I just need to make and receive phone calls and texts and have an up to date synchronized calendar and maybe you know do some basic lookups of of contact information. Uh, that can all fit on the watch because you then you know I'm not like I'm typing on the watch. I'm speaking into it. I'm either I'm either using the speech to text or I'm sending audio things to people or i'm doing phone calls over the tinny little thing like it's just for two second little spurts of things um so that's that's the place where i feel the watch has uh room to grow that and also the thing that they've done here getting back to the announcement is i'm glad to see that they are branching out aesthetically like that they're not going to you know here's a bunch of watches you can get and then you know a year from now or two years from now when we make the next version the watch will be a different fashion like that they're willing to play with it that they have you know more colors more styles more watch faces and i think they should do even more of that in particular the watch faces where they kind of like oh if you get this special band you'll get this special watch face i guess they have to do that for branding purposes because they probably own the designs of these these i don't know i don't anyway i i think that's the next area that needs to open up is watch face third-party watch faces because all this type of customization makes people feel more of a connection with this thing like there are so many varieties you can get now and so many colors and so many bands and i think they should let people have third-party watch faces as well because that is an area like marco's like he's not really enthused about uh making a watch os app because he doesn't find himself using apps but everybody uses the watch face and if you are a designer i bet you'd be really jazzed about a chance to make your own watch face or even you know so much so that even Marco might make one with like a, a, a watch hands that move out of the way so you can see the little date complication, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, 
it just seems like a fun thing to do and uh, play to the strengths of the watch. Right now, apps are not the strength of the watch, but who knows? With the watch OS 2, uh, maybe more people will find more apps. Like Casey's found a few. I found basically zero. Marco's found zero. Uh, if if watch OS 2, after six months of development, can get me and Marco to have one app that we use all the time, that will be a, a victory for the platform. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, anything else about the watch? Well, do you do you guys think so? So obviously, I, the big news with the watch today is that they added a ton of bands and and new body colors. So that they added, the, you know, you you mentioned they added the uh, the rose gold sport, also the gold sport, right? Or is there there's two? Oh yeah, you're right. I believe that's right. I think yeah. So there's they just doubled the number of colors in the sport line for the for the watch body. Plus they added the Hermes line. Plus they have like. They have like ten new sport band colors. It's this massive number of new colors there. It's like more than triple. It's like triple the number of sport band colors that we have. Plus, there's now a the they 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 totally remade the classic buckle. Uh, now it's it looks like it's a little bit thicker. It's two tone leather on the black, and they also added a brown version, which is very nice. Uh, at least in the picture so far, uh, they basically just added tons of new watch options. Only a few months after the watch was released, obviously leading to the holiday season. Do you guys think this is a sign that they're kind of a little bit desperate to boost the sales of the watch? No, I think they're just uh, hitting their production ramp. Like it was supply constrained in the beginning, and now they have the capacity and have worked out the manufacturing and they can just start branching out. And with any fashion accessory, you want to have more varieties. Like in the beginning for the launch, it's just you have to necessarily keep things somewhat narrow, and now they can branch out and offer people more variety and i and i think it's really just about people who are like when the big rush to, to get the watches like oh i don't know if that's any good i'm not gonna bother i don't want to fight the crowds now you'll be able to get one and the holiday season is coming up if you are interested in a watch you know maybe you looked at the, the previous models and you didn't want to deal with the rush and none of them really appeal to you and now you casually wander into a store and you should be struck by the fact that oh i didn't like any of those ones that i saw pictures of before but i would like this color with this thing like it's a it's a good timing for them for the holidays to just have more variety. And I don't I don't think it's a desperation thing because like the product hasn't changed. It's the same watch it always was. All they're doing is giving people more variety and a, a and it coincides nicely with watchOS two, which you know regular people don't know the difference between watchOS one and two or whatever. Like this this watch for this holiday season and this variety, as far as the casual public who has been who had been dismissing the Apple Watch is concerned. This is how the Apple Watch always has been, and they'll take an interest in it, and they'll think this is how the watch was from day one, but it's not. So I think they're just getting a product line that's more appropriate for the holidays. Yeah, I think it could be indicative of Trouble in Paradise, but I do agree with John that I, I think it's just that they're hitting their product, production ramp and just getting their feet under them, so to speak. So I, I'm not too worried yet. Yeah, and also, like it, the watch is still a phone. You can't get one of these unless you have an iPhone. Right. And so it's never it's not going to be like, oh, we got to worry about watch. It's always going to be a subset of iPhone sales. And in the beginning, it's going to be a really small subset. So it's not as if Apple was expecting the watch to be a breakout product. Like That's why they said before they even released the watch, we're not going to break out the numbers for you and everything, because they know like it's not going to be big in the beginning. It's always going to be until they break it free of the, of the iPhone, if they ever do. Like I said, seven years now or something. Um, but it's something they want to do. Uh, this No one has really said this. But in the wake of the Apple TV thing, you could kind of consider Apple Watch their new hobby. That's interesting. We don't we have we don't know the numbers. So you can't say like number wise it is or whatever. But 
it looks a lot like a hobby, doesn't it? It's like it's a cool accessory that you can get for the foam, which is their meat and potatoes. And you do lots of fun, interesting stuff with it. And you don't break out the numbers for people. And it's not as if there's any sort of platform that lives or dies based on the sales of the watch or anything like it seems hobbyish to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Like and some the people who know the real numbers or, or who can like back solve for them, like Horace they do or whatever, can tell me that they sold more watches in the first 24 hours than all Apple TVs ever sold, which is probably true. And the watch's margin's got to be much better than the Apple TV. So it could be, you know, I could be way off on this. But it strikes me as because it is a subordinate product, because it is basically a, the world's fanciest iPhone accessory. Uh, and it's still in that infancy. Remember when only weird people had iPhones or had smartphones at all? That's the stage Apple Watch is at it now. Like when, when uh, well, the iPhone was never at that stage. It was when when the first iPhone came out, and it was like six hundred dollars or whatever. Like only weird people had iPhones. There was a lot. Like if you look at the the little ramp of like how many t- cumulative number of iPhones sold, it started out pretty slow. It was just like the people who really believed and people wanted it, but it seemed expensive because there was no every other phone didn't look like the iPhone at that point. Uh, and smart watches, I still think, are in that early phase. So I'm willing to give the watch a pretty long time to go through its 3G, 3GS, 4 phase before the rest of the world starts to wake up and look at it. Uh, and maybe then it will get out of the realm of uh, potentially a hobby product for Apple. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I Honestly, I have a little bit of worry here for the Apple Watch, uh, only because it does seem like I I can't imagine they were planning all along to launch all these things this fall uh, for like all these all these new hardware varieties so soon after the launch of the the first watch. But but it's just it's just color changes like they made a bunch of plastic bands and now they can make the plastic in different colors. And like the anodized stuff like they're already doing it for the phone. They already have the processes probably the same like it's very straightforward stuff. Uh, And it just it just seems to me that. Why would you not do this then? The only, there's a reason not to do it on launch, which is just you really have to concentrate on a few models and get the kinks worked out or whatever. But once you've got all the kinks worked out, you're not designing a new watch. It's the same old watch, just color stuff differently. And it's so easy to do and make people happy. And if you have enough manufacturing inventory to make sure you always have the one in the color and the size that the people want, why would you not do it? The most obvious answer to me is why not wait until version two to do some of these things? Like, you know, they don't do this with the iPhone. The iPhone is sells in way bigger volume. It's very important to the company, makes them way more money. But it's uh, not as, mu- as much of a fashion accessory. I think when the, the Watch 2 comes out, it will be reconstrained to a smaller set of styles and colors again. And then it will do the exact same thing where the, the, the Watch 2, like, assuming they don't do like a 2S or whatever, the, the next watch that is different, a different shape and size, right? will have a limited set of colors similarly limited to the first one and then will branch out again because i just don't think you can launch a brand new product in this um this in this variety of colors and, and sizes and shapes and finishes and bands and all the other stuff i don't know i mean there there is the there is the possibility so when when tim cook on the on the last earnings call said that the apple watch is selling well and there was this report a couple of days before that from some survey company that said there was a huge spike of pre-orders and then it, and then it dropped and then it, it was not selling well anymore. What he said did not actually contradict that report because what he said was counting them when they ship to customers, not when they are ordered by customers. And so if what he said what he said could have been true while that report was also true. So this could all still be the case where what he said 
you know, back then it was selling well. The you know, it, it was selling by like stock inventory standards of like when it ships, that's when it's charged, that's when it's sold, that's when we booked the that's when we booked the revenue. Okay. So now leading into the holiday quarter, uh, you know, another quarter's coming up. He's gonna ha- you know, if it isn't selling well, they're gonna have to explain why. Because someone's gonna you know, people are gonna look at these numbers, they're gonna be able to figure out in this this other category, oh crap, this is kind of bad. And hopefully the Apple TV is in there to help boost it up there. What if this? And again, I, this might not be the case. This is this is the cynical take on this, right? Or the skeptical take on this. What if all these new bands and everything are not only an attempt to juice new watch sales earlier than they planned, but also an attempt to get more money sooner out of existing watch owners who are buying additional bands, just trying to juice the watch quarter numbers uh, for you know in the short term, just to get them until a future point where they think that the sales will make up for it. Uh, I don't know how many extra bands they're going to sell to existing watch owners. I, I I feel like it's the same with the original iPhone. iPhone came out, everyone who wanted one got one, then a bunch of other people just stood back and watched for a while. And this has the advantage of the holidays, where it's like the watch came out, everyone who wanted a watch got one, everyone else just sat back and watched curiously at this whole watch thing. And the holidays come along, it's like, well, I mean, that's the you know the type of thing, well, it's buy somebody something they wouldn't buy for themselves. Someone might have been curious about the watch, but they're not going to spend that money. They don't know if it's a big deal. They don't even know if they're going to like one. Someone will get it for them as a gift. That's what the holidays do. That's why holidays big shopping season. So, And people who are considering watches or wanted to get for themselves or whatever, like... I think it, it will still be a small thing because like think of how many people how many people owned in the entire world ever owned the iPhone one super small number this is the iPhone one this is the first watch uh, just with different bands in different colors um, so I don't expect there to be a huge number of people who have this watch if the product's going to be successful we have to look forward to to the fourth iteration of this and then see and again it's always going to be capped by the number of iPhones so all you're looking at is what is what makes a successful watch? What percentage of iPhone owners have to buy an Apple Watch for it to be a successful product? One percent, two percent, ten percent. I think now it is much less than one percent, and I think that's just to be expected. So I'm I'm not worried about the Apple Watch. I don't think Tim Cook is worried about the Apple Watch, especially since tech wise and manufacturing wise, like their investment and in what they've done so far, they can cruise for a few years making progressively slightly better iterations of this watch without. Uh, breaking the bank. I'm sure they've already made back their money that they invested in developing this product. Um, I don't think they're worried about that. I think they're willing to just continue to chase this category wherever it leads, and it will be fine. Yeah, that's fair. Also, one more thing I think one of the reasons they might have been doing this also is that you know when compared to other smartwatch vendors out there, Apple already had, I think, way more options for bands, colors, and sizes, and materials than anyone else. And now they've really taken a massive lead on that. Like, you know, they already had the lead. Now it's a way wider lead uh, where competitively, if you look at the Samsung Galaxy S whatever versus the LG whatever versus the Motorola 270 whatever, then Apple, like anyone who's actually comparing these side by side, which I don't think honestly is a big number, but anyone actually compare them side by side would would be blown away by just how many choices they have from Apple's side. And it's more likely that they can find something they like on Apple's side. Yeah, and they're staking out the high ground. Like, Apple always wants the most profitable section of any business. And so the way you do that in anything that's remotely related to fashion is make sure you're the one that's seen as the, like, oh, we we are partnering with this uh, this fashion company whose name regular people can't pronounce it and have never heard. Uh, Samsung isn't, right? Or, like, they're... 
Apple is trying to make sure that when all the dust settles, when someone thinks of what is that fancy smartwatch that all the fashion people are into, that the answer to that is Apple. And so they're like, that's why they're doing, you know, that's why they have the really super expensive gold one. That's why they're doing these partnerships with these fashion companies. Regular people don't care about that. No one's going to buy those super expensive, like, but it's all for positioning. So they end up with the most profitable customers. They end up with the one with, with the most cachet with the one that is seen as a status symbol, even after everybody had like the iPhone. Remember when the iPhone was a status symbol, like celebrities would have an iPhone. Now nobody cares. Everybody has an iPhone or some other <laughs> smartphone. It's not a big deal. Uh, I think what they're doing with this, this fashion partnerships and stuff is trying to make sure that even after everybody has a smartwatch five years from now, no one cares. It's not a big deal. And they come in cereal boxes that through these silly partnerships where someone sells you a strap of leather for a thousand dollars because it's got a particular name on it, that that is still seen in the same way that regular fashion is who cares about these shoes or this dress or whatever like fashion is always going to be a status symbol and it's not tied to technology it's tied to you know uh you know exclusivity and who's got buzz and what's in style and apple's just trying to stay on top of that they are they seem so much more dedicated to it than everyone else who's making smartwatches right now our next sponsor is casper Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Go to casper.com slash ATP and use code ATP for $50 off any mattress at checkout. Now, the mattress industry has inherently forced customers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and mattress showrooms and passing that savings directly on to you, the consumer. Casper mattresses provide resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Their mattresses are one of a kind. This is a hybrid mattress technology that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. So it has the benefits of both. You have the nice soft support of memory foam, but the latex foam blended in reduces the memory foam's downsides that a lot of people cite, like that it's too hot or it doesn't feel right, it doesn't bounce right. So you get the benefits of both. Just the right sink and just the right bounce. This is obsessively engineered to provide this balance. Now, This is also at a shockingly fair price. Mattresses can usually cost well over $1,500 for a good one. If you've ever bought a mattress before and tried to get something good, you you will recognize these prices as pretty much insane. Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin, $750 for full, $850 for queen, $950 for king. They even have a, a, a twin XL for $600 if you want it in there. Now, Casper understands that buying a mattress online can have you wondering how this is all possible. And, you know, do you even want to buy a mattress online? This is obviously a big question. They know this, right? So they've made it completely risk-free. They have free delivery and easy returns within a 100-day period. It's that simple. Now, lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation whatsoever to what, what is the right bed for you. Now, they know this. You can try this in your home for 100 days, totally risk-free. They know that truly trying it out in your home is really what matters. That's what you need to know to know whether it's right for you. So check it out, casper.com slash ATP. Risk-free trial and return policy. Try it for 100 days. Free delivery, free returns. These mattresses are obsessively engineered for just the right sink, just the right bounce, and they're made in America. So check it out today, casper.com slash ATP, and use code ATP at checkout for $50 off any purchase. Thanks a lot to Casper. All right. Uh, Federico Vitici's time has come. <laughs> the iPad Pro. I believe I heard screaming from the mountaintops of Italy when this was finally announced. Um, 
I am really intrigued by it. There is no damn way I'm going to carry around a 13-inch iPad. As someone who actually prefers an iPad mini, I just don't see myself wanting a 13-inch iPad. That being said, it is intriguing if for no other reason than it's a remix of all the things that came before it. It's a remix of the paper app. It's a remix of the paper pencil. And it's a remix of the Surface. But... Um, we have in the show notes the A9X, so I assume, John, you'd like to start by talking about that. Really? That's what we're talking about first? I just threw it in there. Like, you know, it's a, it's our way into talking about the A9. And it's just that Apple continues to uh, rev its CPU lines in in ways that were only we were accustomed to on the desktop and laptop years ago. And now these low-power tablet and phone chips are following the same trajectory. And, and I think a lot of regular people are wondering, like, why is the iPhone and iPad CPU like getting twice as fast every year, but my MacBook CPU does not get twice as fast every year. Uh, and the answer is that the iPhone and the iPad CPUs are playing catch up. They start out way, way, way slower than your MacBook and they're catching up to it. Once they do catch up with it, they will not be doubling anymore. Like there's no magic here. Um, there's a little, a potentially a little bit of advantage of Apple controlling all this stuff. And that's something we'll get to in another show uh, related to that that we'll talk about. But, uh, but that's why they're doubling um, but anyway, uh, Apple continues to put out those graphs like, look how much faster our, our CPUs and GPUs have gotten in our iPad. And it is impressive. Like their, their GPUs are better. And, you know, it was like 22x uh, CPU increase and 360x GPU speed. They started out so darn slow. Like that's the magic of that graph. Like because if you just look what the axes are labeled and look how slow it was. Yeah. So anyway, they're still getting faster. The interesting thing that Apple didn't compare the iPad Pro 2 and didn't compare the A9X2 at all was any of its own laptops. Because at this point, I feel like this thing has to be faster than at least some laptops that Apple sells. Don't you think? Like in both CPU and GPU or some kind of synthetic benchmark that you come up with that this thing is going to be faster than like an 11-inch Air or something? Well, and also, I mean, compare it to its most obvious uh, alternative, the MacBook 1. I mean, I would guess it has to be faster than the MacBook One at certain things. Mm, that that might be a, a horse race, depending on on uh, what you're testing. Maybe in, in GPU speed, I don't know. But anyway, uh, that that aspect of it certainly fulfills the Pro aspect. The A eight was pretty darn fast anyway, and the A eight X, the A nine X, like this is this is a worthy processor, I think, for the iPad Pro. Is it the first one that would have been powerful enough? Because here, here's the two things about this. Um, they're pushing so many more pixels. And remember what happened when we went first went Retina on the iPad, it was a problem. Uh, on this thing, I mean, they, it's already Retina. It's just a, a bigger screen. They're pushing more pixels. And they keep talking about, oh, we can have this many 4K video screen, uh, streams and stuff like that. You have to have a pretty beefy GPU in there just to do basic things with this many pixels. Look at what happened with the iPhone 6 Plus, where it seems like it was just a little bit underpowered. And they had like the weird uh, double size screen that they shrink down to fit in the number of pixels and stuff. I'm hoping they avoided all those compromises with this thing just because they have so much more room to do everything in here. So the CPU, GPU part definitely seems pro to me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot about it. This, to me, this is a very confusing product, honestly. Um, and I, it's probably just because it's not for me. I, I really don't think this is for me. And I don't... I, I honestly am not sure I know anybody who it is for, but I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people will be very happy about it. Um, it's just not, you know, not me and the people I know. But... Uh, this is a really first of all it's huge i mean i guess you know if if you can permit me to talk about the physical parts for a minute um it's massive and it's heavy it weighs more than the ipad 1 
and it's larger. Uh, the, the MacBook One, you mean? Sorry. No, no. No, I mean the iPad One. It weighs less than the MacBook One. With the keyboard thing? Oh, maybe. I didn't look at that. Um, so, well, it's also, it's a, big, it's a bigger screen than the MacBook One. Uh, you know, this is 12.9. The MacBook One, I think, is 12.0. Or? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, this is... This is not like, this is coming into interesting territory is exactly what makes it an iPad Pro. It's not like, well, I would bring a laptop, but I want something smaller, so I bought the iPad Pro. It's like Tim said on the stage, I think I saw someone tweeted, like he reemphasized for the millionth time, as I've said on past shows as well, uh, that the iPad is the future of computing as far as Apple's concerned. They're just frustrated by their inability to make it happen, but they really believe that that this this kind of platform is the future of computing, not a not a continued slow, steady evolution of plain old desktop computers. Uh, and they haven't proved that in either the market or to the customers. But finally, they're making forward progress again after many many years of just making differently sized but equally boring, very large phones. Uh, so the key the keyboard, the stylus that we'll get to. It's not a stylus; it's a pencil, uh, and all the other <laughs> things. Uh, shows that they're finally moving in that direction again. Are they right? I don't know. Um, but you have to you have to see this thing through. Like if you if you really believe that this is the way that most people will be doing most of the things they do with computers in the future, uh, then you have to make products that that prove it. And so this is the the first attempt. This you know as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think this is going to face a lot of the same challenges that every iPad has faced. Uh, and and you know just from the physical side, it is going to be tough because. Where iPads have have been strong before, things like you know casual reading in bed or you know couch use and stuff like that. For a lot of those things, this is actually going to be uncomfortably large and and, and heavy now for a lot of people. Uh, it's actually taking a step backwards in in some of those areas in order to achieve the big screen and, and everything else. And and you know I don't think they could have done a lot better with that. I think this is just the, re- the physical realities of a device that has a screen this large. Uh, so there's 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 going to be some challenges there. But also, uh, you know, ergonomically, obviously, this is made to be used with the keyboard probably frequently, I would say. I, I don't know about that because because it has – didn't they emphasize the full-size on-screen keyboard as well? Well, mm-hmm. they, yeah, they gave it a couple seconds. But I know. Well, so that's, that's a piece of follow-up that we skipped this week. But someone saying that uh, – I think it was a teacher saying that the students prefer the on-screen keyboard because physical keyboards don't have the same sort of – I think he was saying they don't have the same sort of autocomplete type stuff or whatever i i think a generation of people who grew up tapping on glass to type uh it may not be that crazy that they would prefer the on-screen keyboard i, I this getting to all the like the physical uh things that you're talking about this I mean, we'll talk about this in the end but like whether i'm going to buy one or whatever even though i've been so gung-ho for the ipad pro and i think this is a great product and it's going to be uh, you know artists and other people who really need a big screen and, and want the pencil and everything or, or and app, people who write applications for those people, it gives them their first real shot to sell pro apps to pro people using pro hardware. It's still kind of two things in one here. The two things are, first, make a bigger iPad so people don't feel so constrained. Give it, you know, for the people who want a big screen to do things, you need more pixels, you need more detail, and with a precision pointing device. Uh, and second, let the iPad do more complicated things with the keyboard, with the split screen or whatever. And in this product, they are tied together. It's gargantuan. It's way too big for most people. It's not going to sell well because it's just too darn big, like Margo said. But all the features that are in this, if you put them on the iPad Air 2 size device, equally valuable to people who like that size device. And I think you can shrink even all of them down maybe to the mini if you make it a little bit bigger, except for maybe the keyboard. Like, I feel like everything that is staked out by this product, all the functionality, even the little side port thing, and all the OS features and all the software that's going to be written to it, 
That is all valuable at sizes less than gargantuan. Unfortunately, this first product, or fortunately for the people who are interested, this is gargantuan plus all the fancy features. And I think every single one of these fancy features can and should trickle down to the extent possible allowed by the, the sizes. And I think that will eventually solve most of the problems that you're talking about, Marco, because I agree with you. This thing is really big. I want an iPad Pro. I want this product. I don't know if it's too big for me. I don't know. Like, if I got this, I'd be like, then I need a smaller iPad for, for like, my <laughs> other activity. You know what I mean? I'll have to, and, and the weight, I mean, I'm using an iPad 3 now, which is a massive anyway, but I'm going to have to try it out. But you have, this is the right move, I think, because this is staking out the high end. It's like, if anybody's going to want this Pro, it's got to go Pro, 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 big, 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 pencil thing, fine arts, keyboard, people on the go, doing typing, go to the Microsoft service thing. This is, this is huge. This is like, you know, it is clearly pushing in the high end type of product. But I really, really hope they don't year after year rev the iPad Pro and keep all these features to the big one. Because I want all these on all the iPads, uh, you know, to to the extent possible. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was thinking that I would really kind of like to have a keyboard cover for my iPad Mini, um, which kind of disgusted me. Trust me, you don't. Yeah, it kind of disgusted me because I realized that's a terrible idea. But that was my gut reaction was, man, that would be kind of convenient for like when I'm traveling because occasionally... I'll travel and not want to bring a 15-inch MacBook Pro, but want something that that I can type on to like write emails or something like that. And so occasionally when I travel, I'll bring my Mini and my uh, Apple wireless keyboard, which if I really think that's true, is kind of or think that through is kind of ridiculous. But that's occasionally what happens. And so I agree with you, John, that having something, having a lot of these features for even the smaller devices, I think that's fairly compelling. Yeah, or even like the split screen stuff, which they're confining possibly for CPU reasons, possibly for RAM reasons, like just everything about this that, you know, it's still two gigs of RAM, I think. I don't know if that's been determined. But anyway, the the fact that it used to just be the Air 2 that had two gigs of RAM and that that, that extra RAM really makes the existing boring pre-iOS 9 iOS experience so much better just because your crap isn't all gone when you switch applications. Like those type of hardware-based compromises are going to leave on the high end first. Are they going to, you know, this CPU and GPU can be faster and hotter and bigger and they could put a huge battery in here and this can have a lot of the, mo- the most pixels and it can handle the, whatever they're doing for the, the pencil stuff and all like all those things should trickle down as eventually the iPad two uh, iPad air two class machine can also handle all of that. And eventually the mini class machine can handle it. And maybe the mini will get a little bit bigger and maybe the keyboard will be bigger than the device because you can't have a keyboard that small because it's insane. Um, and I think the most exciting thing about it is, well, I would say the most exciting thing is the addition of a rotation lock button, but I don't think that's there. But anyway, <laughs> the fact that Apple actually went in the opposite direction for once, instead of slowly removing every possible button from the device, they added a new thing. They added, it's not really a port kind of, but they added three little buttons on the bottom. That's a new connector. Uh, it's like, that is a, you know, that's a pro feature. You can connect other stuff to the thing with the thing There, you know, baby steps here right they didn't add usb ports right there's no sd card slot but if this is the future of computing they have to eventually figure out in what ways are we going to allow this to be expanded and hardware accessorized if you let it be expanded every way that a pcb can be expanded you're just re repeating the sins of the past and just recreating the pc in a different form and i don't think apple wants to do that so they're being cautious but i like seeing them move in that direction i like this not just being a bluetooth accessory right why is it why is it not bluetooth because the Bluetooth accessory is crappier. The Bluetooth thing has to have batteries and you got Bluetooth flakiness and it's like this. We don't have to worry about that. It's powered by the thing. We have a giant battery in there. 
you know, we don't, we can make the, the, the cover itself thinner, although it still looks kind of like a hunchback when you close it because it's like thick on one end and kind of gross. But anyway, generation one product, I, I, I you know, but I, I am excited. I was, that was the most exciting part of the reveal thing was when they showed three little dots on the side. I'm like, that's a new port. You know, that's, <laughs> they didn't show a rotational lock, which is disappointing. I guess there just wasn't <laughs> enough room along the edge of the device. They, they needed room for all those giant empty chambers around the four speakers. Um, one of the big things about this, I think, besides, you know, the size, obviously, uh, I'll keep harping on forever. Um, the price is interesting. You know, if you look at if you look, if you look at how this is positioned, how other iPads were positioned before, and, and now how this is positioned against their other laptops, this is this is really a laptop replacement. You know, not a lot. You know, some people, obviously, you know, idiots like me will will buy them and you know use them as like toys, and then also have every other kind of device, but. I really think, like, you know, most people are not going to be spending $1,000 on a tablet that is not going to replace a laptop. You know, that for it to be this big and this expensive, it has to replace laptops for most of its customers, I would say. And maybe that proves to be wrong. Who knows? But that's probably how it's going to go. I would also expect a much more laptop-like replacement cycle, although I think we're seeing that in most iPads, actually. Uh, So the big thing to me is... Software-wise, are there a lot of people? I, I know, I know, this is not going to be all, but are there a lot of people for whom this can replace a laptop better than any other iPad? You know, obviously, some people could get by with the other iPads just fine. The people who couldn't, how many of them will this be good enough for? Where the other iPads weren't? I'm thinking of this replacing a desktop for the first customers. Uh, because it's going to be, I'm thinking again of the pencil, which we haven't really talked about that much, but like that, the type, what's the first, it's a chicken egg thing. So you need the hardware before you can make the software, but what is the easiest market for, if you're going to sell an expensive application that, that costs a lot of money to develop and you're, and you're not going to sell a lot of copies, but you're going to sell them for a lot of money. Like, and these days, you know, $99, it's an application. It's, it's an, uh, a design or art application that lets somebody use this thing and the pencil assuming it works as advertised and it's all impressive and great and everything to do their main function like their actual work not on the go but at their desk at their job like this is a little a miniature cintiq um and i know most people would say uh like for example someone who's using the surface to do that today that's great and all but if it doesn't run uh photoshop it's pointless to me because what am i going to use that stylus for i'm going to use my surface i'm going to run photoshop and i'm going to get my work done because that's what i need to get my work done so apple does have a huge software gap here but the history of the ipad leading up to this has been if apple doesn't make pro hardware no one's going to make pro software and everyone's waiting for someone to go first so apple went first and i think apple is desperately hoping that somebody probably not adobe is going to try to be the photoshop of the ipad pro and get people to use this thing for the, as their actual computer at their desk at their work as like a desktop replacement and you can also read your email and check twitter and have a little youtube video playing in the corner and listen to your music and also be scribbling away with your hundred dollar johnny i've blessed pure white apple pencil that i think is the vision for this product it's not a reality because if you buy this thing there's no application you can buy to do that stuff but you know apple wants there to be and they showed autocad and all these other things so uh i'm i'm hopeful but i and i see where this product can go uh but i expect like mark yeah I, i expect not a lot of people to buy this i expect people to buy it and be bewildered by it um and uh, i just hope that everything that this product embodies more power more ram more ports 
slowly spreads to the rest of the iPad line because that will finally that will finally differentiate. What is the difference between an iPad and an iPhone? Is an iPad just a big iPhone? This is not a big iPhone. This is like the farthest thing from a big iPhone ever. So uh, kudos to Apple for doing this. And uh, I, I hope the next few years is uh, as encouraging as uh, as this announcement is to me and Vitici and maybe five other people. <laughs> oh goodness so what do we think about this this pencil um i do feel bad for the folks at uh what is it 53 yeah um the, there's been a lot of sherlocking going on in that direction but well look when you choose a really generic name for your product like you you know you run the risks like this oh absolutely um but i i was i was expecting to be very blasé about the pencil and Again, it doesn't really speak to me because I don't do the sorts of things that were, that would require a stylus. I'm a, I'm a terrible artist. I can't imagine what else I would need it for. However, I thought it was a very clever piece of hardware. I like that you can tilt it to get like a kind of side of a pencil stroke, which I guess it just occurred to me. That's why they call it a pencil and not a pen or anything like that. Um, Wait, I like can do that too. Please don't email us. Well, sort of, but um, but I, I like that you can do that. Uh, obviously, the pressure sensitivity—I think we all saw that coming. It, it's a very clever piece of kit, but I don't know. It's—I I wish there was something that spoke to me, but there's nothing that speaks to me yet. Uh, I think it'll be fun for. Well, for, here's here's where it helps. If you're not someone who is a designer or a fine artist or someone who just noodles around and sketches, and by the way, you should just get one of these for Tiff because she'll love it to do her little art snacks things with. Well, um, so far. When Tiff, Tiff, before this event, uh, I was asking her. You know, I was, she she was she was interested in a larger iPad uh, for video and game use. And once she saw the event, she, we watched the event together. She now says she's no longer interested. That it's too big. Yeah, well, that's what I said. Like the, the style, a stylus is a perfect example of something that could fit perfectly well on an iPad Air or a Mini, even like no problem on a Mini because the thing doesn't fit inside the iPad. It's just an accessory. It's just that. All those wings don't have the screen for it, so give it a year or two. That stuff should trickle down. Yeah, I mean, it's this is one of those things. Like, I have no opinion on the stylus because I have never been a paper and pencil or paper and pen person for anything. I'm not a graphic artist at all in any sense. I'm not a note taker. Well, that's uh, what I was getting it for the old fogies thing. Like, uh, setting aside all the people this is actually aimed at, the other kind of person this can appeal to, and we all know people like this who are like uh, usually older people who are actually more comfortable taking notes in their own handwriting, which seems, you know, totally ridiculous to those of us who grew up being excited by the fact that we can press a key on a keyboard and a perfect letter A appears and we don't have to be subject to our own <laughs> handwriting, right? As like, that's, that is the dream. And these people are like, you know what? I would rather do my shopping list in my own little scrawl. And they just want a notes application that lets them write things. Uh, and they want to do it with their little pen. I mean, we've all seen people using like the Galaxy Note and stuff like I, people using very large phones with the stylus. Some people just like it. my my own mother has used. I've seen her do it. An iPod Touch, the small one with a stylus. Oh, yeah. I've seen uh, some family members use styli with their phones because they just prefer it. I think it's insane, but that's what they prefer. Yeah, And so they're not going to buy a thousand dollar iPad or whatever. Again, it's a trickle down thing. Years eventually when this stuff gets spreads down the product line you know, will they ever sell an Apple Pencil for the iPhone? Probably not. But if they did, my mother would use it today. Yeah, I mean, there, no question. I think there's a lot of people who want to use this. As I said, I'm not one of them. However, 
uh, you know, I, I disagree, John, that that note taking is mostly mostly or only for old people. I, I think there's there's a lot of kinds of note taking for which. Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of kinds of note taking for which I would prefer a a pen to to a keyboard and mouse. Uh, you know, if you if you're trying to dictate what somebody is saying then yeah, a keyboard is the, is the way to go. But for so many other kinds of note-taking, brainstorming, anything, design, like there's so many things. Oh yeah, like like that's like wireframing like UIs. Obviously it's better, right? But you, you would actually write down text with it? Well, it depends. Like like when I, in my limited time trying to take notes as a, as the terrible student that I was in college, I never even tried in high school. In college, I the terrible time I tried, um, like math, I would definitely take math notes using a pen, not a keyboard. Um, you know, and and yeah, because that's not typing. You got to do it. it's like practically drawing, right? right? That's what. I'm, and and there's like even computer science. I think I would probably like. There's so many like note taking to me is different from just transcribing what somebody is saying. You know, that's yeah. So you're doing note taking is not not typing, but like like you see people when they have conference talks, they'll try to like summarize the conference talk as it's going on. They draw little pictures and put words, and you know, it's it's a multimedia thing, like. Yeah, I see, I see what you're getting at, although I think you probably have better handwriting than I do because I feel like it, when text is involved at all, like I, I need the eat up Martha feature. I needed to turn my scrawl into actual readable text so I never have to see my handwriting again. <laughs> Fair, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I don't think we – did they mention any handwriting, handwriting recognition at all? I don't think they did. They, they didn't. It's in OS X right now. If you, if you hook up a tablet, you can go use it. Uh, and, and it is still basically eat up Martha caliber. Uh, so, you know, baby steps. Like, this is not what this is aimed at. It wasn't even mentioned. I, it's probably not even in there. But many years from now, kind of like speech-to-text and text-to-speech, eventually it just gets good enough that it's like, why not add it ever? Handwriting recognition is not at that stage yet, but... It will be eventually, and I think like they showed it in the Microsoft thing. Like people who are familiar with the Newton are like, "Oh, so I draw a rough shape and it makes a nice shape for me." Where have I seen that before? Like that is, <laughs> this is not new technology, but it still feels like magic to me when he he draws that little scrawl of an arrow in the Office application. It becomes the little thing. It draws the circles and they become circles. It's kind of the bad kind of magic, and you can never tell really what it's going to do, and half the time it doesn't work. But that's like a that's a glimpse of the magic future that someday if that worked as reliable as speech to text does now i mean when i was a kid i could never have imagined that speech to text would be so boring that we just that like did anyone see we'll get to apple tv in a little bit but like the, the apple tv siri demo and like there's no way it's going to understand my voice like that we've all used siri like it's not great but it is complete magic by the by the standards of like you know a, a kid of the 80s like when we were like imagine if just like every device with any amount of computing power, like you can talk to it, your watch for crying out loud, you can talk to it and it will do a passable job of figuring out what you said and putting it in text. That is amazing. And that is the magic of like the cost of that feature going down to zero. Uh, handwriting recognition should also get to that stage. Eventually people who use the Microsoft products may say it's already there because they have this thing where it will let you write in your own little chicken scratch handwriting, but under the covers translate into text, but leave your chicken scratch there so that it knows what you wrote so you can full text search for it. Like that's already happening on the Microsoft side. I feel like that is flakier than speech to text is on most platforms these days, but it's close. I think we're, we're at the cusp. So again, maybe three revisions from now, uh, the new version of the notes application in, in uh, are they still going to call it iOS? I got to think of what the new name is going to be. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, in, in iOS version 
13 or 14 is like, and the new version of the notes application lets you write with the, the Apple mini pencil. Uh, and it will also do full text search and they'll do a demo of it. And it will be like Microsoft did that five years ago. What are you doing Apple? But everyone will love it because it will be all white. So that's another, another thing to quickly point out here. Uh, you know, normally the, the people who are not Apple fans, people who are really fans of other platforms, whether it's windows or Android or both, uh, let's face it. Nobody uses Linux anymore. Um, Usually, every Apple event, there's like a couple of things where those people get really mad about because Apple did something that, you know, they copied someone else or they did something that other people have done before. This, maybe this just because there's so many things announced here, but this event seems like there was a higher than normal percentage of those of those things. Does that? Well, but but all of them, the Newton did first. Like It's like, yeah, oh, sure. Microsoft service did it first, right? But who did it firster? Uh, you know, and even the Newton, it's like, well, then what about the, the, the grid pad? Like, you just keep going back in time. Everyone's done these things before. We don't care who did it. We care who did it best or did it in a way that was convincing to people. We don't know if this is going to be convincing. Like, people who use a Surface, as we've heard from them, love their Surface, but they're not selling a lot of them. I don't think they're going to sell a lot of these pros either. But I think because Apple does sell a ton of iOS devices and people do want to use a pencil-like thing with iOS devices, that Apple has the potential to sell more of these silly $100, hopefully that price goes down, pencil things in the next five years than Microsoft does. You know, I, I agree with you, Marco, that a lot of this felt like everything is a remix. And to build on what John just said, we should probably talk about pricing and then move on to some of the other stuff in the keynote. Um, starting at $800 for 32 gigs, yay, 32 gigs. Um, 950 for 128. And interestingly, uh, the only option for Wi-Fi plus cellular is the $1,080 128 gig uh, iPad. I thought that somewhat surprising because for all the other iPads, you can get cellular on any size you want. But for this, if you want cellular, you're going whole hog and that's the end of the meeting. I think I think my iPad 3 was close to $1,000, like, all in. So, like, I, I'm looking at these prices. Maybe I'm crazy, but I'm looking at these prices and thinking, you know what? For a 13-inch thing with four gig, 13-inch iOS device with four gigs of RAM, that's not that doesn't seem crazy to me. Like, I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. I'm getting a lot of pixels. I'm getting a lot of power. I'm getting new features that the other devices don't have, and it's, quote-unquote, only $1,000. That start. I would rather have this than an iPad, than an iPad, or a MacBook Air 11 inch. I, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, it's you know, like price wise, it is expensive. It, compare. I mean, you're right. Like, if you decked out an iPad before, if you, if you got the Max config before the, of the full sized iPad, it was always nine twenty nine. Um, and but the fact is, over time, I think the uh, average selling price of iPads, I think, has gone down. I, th- I think we ha- we even have numbers for that. Oh yeah, yeah, they, they've been dropping the price. But like, I, I'm just saying, like, if if, you, if people offered you, someone came to your house and said, "I will either give you a new decked out 11 inch Air or a new decked out iPad Pro." I know you don't want either one of these devices, but which one do you? Like, you're going to get it for free. Pick one of them. Wouldn't you all pick the iPad Pro just because it's the mo- it's more interesting? Yeah, I, probably, but but we're but we're not normal. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly cooler. It's certainly and and for, it's certainly more specialized, and that's the problem. Like I, I mentioned last last episode of the one before, um, how I was I was kind of disappointed that a lot of Apple's products keep getting more specialized, and that it used to, the answer to the question of who is this for 
for most of their products in the like you know five years ago the answers to that were very broad uh whereas you could use almost everybody could use almost any of their of their computers for almost any purpose and it would work pretty well um you know like they, they were the definitions were more broad whereas now i think we're, we're seeing a lot more specialization from apple products and by nature that is exclusionary it, it's not like this is it's not it's not exclusionary though it is it is making more different products for more different people instead of saying we make three computers and the entire world is going to pick one of our three computers they're like some people don't even want a computer some people want a phone some people want a small phone some people want a big phone some people want a tablet some people want a small tablet some people want a big tablet some people want a tablet with a stylus and so each individual product is more narrowly focused you're right but i think they're covering more of the spectrum this is just you know it's the whole as the cost of compute drops to zero like that becomes less of a factor and it's just like what are the needs of the customers and how can we meet them with lots of different products? Nobody needs all of these products. It's the same thing with the big phones. Some people just wanted a big phone. Some people have a big phone and they're like, you know what? I don't need a, a PC or a laptop. Everything I do is fine on my big phone. I do all my web browsing on it. I do all my buying. I do all my things. I watch my Netflix on it. I don't need a computer anymore. Does that mean that, you know, that phone is for fewer people than the laptop was? Yeah, kind of, because if you just sold everyone a PC and it was this general purpose thing, you can do everything on a PC that will, you know, suit everyone's needs. But some people would rather just have a really big honking phone. And so I think this is this diversification is natural. Like, are, are you uncomfortable because you feel like any individual product now has a narrow range of people that it appeals to and you still would rather them make a smaller line of products that appeal to a wider range of people? Um, uh, well, okay. So let me, stepping back, I think I agree with you. You're right. This is not exclusionary. So you're right. You know, having more products that covers more of the market, that's, that's a good thing, you know, for inclusion. However, I have two worries here. Number one, uh, I, I do worry that Apple is is very much a fan of pushing things forward and killing old things or ending support for old things. And so if I see them launching major products in a direction that is really at odds with with my own needs, I get worried from from that point of view that the things that serve my needs are going to be ended at some point in the future. So anyway, besides that, though, uh, I, I do think there is a... I think they have a severe problem right now of that their product lines are just really big. There are so many different models of everything. There's so many little little and big variations that you can order with any product line. They had, there are so many product lines now. So this has a number of, of challenges. That, you know, one of them, obviously, is that they are stretching their resources really thin in a lot of areas, especially things like engineering and, and quality. <laughs> they, they stretch these things very, very thin. They They don't have as big of a staff as everyone would assume a company of that financial resource would have. And they really, I mean, it seems like they're, they're, they're like waging a war on all fronts uh, with, with relatively small resources. So I'm a little worried about that. I think they're being kind of smart with the sharing because it's, it's kind of like, you know, the the restaurant where you realize everything they serve is a combination of five different (laughs) ingredients, right? Right, right. Even though they have 27 dishes, you're like, wait a second. This is just ingredient A plus ingredient B plus ingredient C and different combinations. I think they're doing a pretty good job of sharing because, I mean, for a long time, they did too much sharing where the iPad really was just its iOS and it's a device and it's a bigger screen. But like the the core OS, Darwin, the kernel being shared across all their stuff and then up the stack, Objective-C, Swift, uh, the fact that they're, you know, the Mac is a little bit of the odd man out at these times because everything else is kind of like an iOS variant. And although they're 
trying to put a brave face on like you know tvos watch os and the inevitable lowercase mac os which will make me sad um uh, that they're giving it different names but that, that's that's basically the same os like it is it they have they've done a pretty good job of having a core technology stack and a core manufacturing stack we make solid aluminum backed machined things with lithium-ion batteries and screens on the front and can't like how many it's like wait a second all these devices are just different combinations of the same things in different sizes. And even the Macs are kind of, you know, the Macs were the first ones to be big CNC milled out blocks of aluminum with lithium ion batteries and the keyboards and the dome switches are in these like in the same keyboard covers and, and the same keyboard was on all the laptops and that same keyboard is on their desktop Macs. And like, I think they're being pr- like, I think it's how they can get away with this. A, being the biggest company in the world and having a million bazillion dollars. Right. And B, being smart about like sort of working on this is, uh, Unlike all their services where they don't seem to work in infrastructure, they work in infrastructure of like, can we get really good at machining aluminum and polishing and finishing it? If we can, do that everywhere. Do it on the watch. Do it on the desktops. Do it on on the tablets. Do it on the phones. Do it on the big phones. Small, like just everywhere, right? And little cameras and LCD screen technology. Every time they try to get good at something like that, it pays dividends across the entire product line. So I think hardware-wise, they're doing well there. Software-wise, you have a point with like the uh, sort of rushing out to get to a platform all the engineers run over here and concentrate on that and everything else languishes and gets a little fidgety or whatever so i'm hoping lcap is a return to form and i hope they learn their lesson to try to rein things back in tv has had a long time to get super crappy without people paying attention to it i'm hoping this is the time when it's like the stored up uh you know sort of potential energy from all those years when apple tv got crappier and crappier now is going to come but it could also be that they that you're right that they overextended themselves and the new apple tv is super flaky and buggy uh and it's like what we waited all this time for this so none of us have the device <laughs> yet and we can't tell but i i think some of your fears are founded but when i look at their hardware uh, product design i'm amazed at how much bang they get for their buck in figuring out these few core things and combining this small set of ingredients to make a fairly large variety of products that I, that I think uh, has the potential to appeal to more people. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can look at it, you know, similarly to like Google is so good at large engineering projects, especially things involving big data and artificial intelligence type things that like, you know, Google seems to have incredibly wide bandwidth and throughput of engineering resources. And so they, they can solve problems better than almost anybody else uh, but that are solvable by tons of engineering work. Whereas Apple, it seems like you know Apple's core competency is in making this these you know the hardware you know as you said like all these aluminum and glass things. So like Apple can solve you know challenges in the market and can be more competitive by throwing massive amounts of this kind of hardware at it. So so Apple actually can. And and also like the the OS, don't you think? Like the frameworks, they're pretty good at that. Like making sure their software is responsive, making sure their frameworks are performant, uh, trying to share frameworks across like AV Foundation, things across iOS and the Mac, and those same things are on the phone and are on the watch. Like that is also a good and clever use of resources. Once you get into the software, you could say, oh yeah, but their actual applications are crappy, or yeah, but the people writing code against those frameworks are doing a bad job, but. I think in general, like compared to Google, uh, Google took a long time to get Android sort of up to snuff where Apple started out in terms of prioritizing responsiveness of the UI and making it look nice and and having uh, consistent and understandable uh, 
interface paradigm and all that other stuff. So Apple has strengths in that area too. It's just sort of towards the edges when you get into okay, you've got good hardware, you've got a pretty good platform, your you know language and IDE and everything seems pretty solid. Your frameworks look okay, except for the first year one of them comes out, then all the frameworks are crappy. But the second year they're all good. Um, but then what are you writing with? What applications do you write on top of it? And then you're like, well, Apple's apps are kind of crappy and don't get any better. And third-party apps aren't allowed to do interesting things. And you get into complaints in that realm. But I think Apple's strengths are pretty broad, definitely in hardware. I think definitely in OS and kind of in frameworks. And in applications is like the edges where things are fraying at this point. Our final sponsor this week is Fracture. Fracture prints your photos in vivid color directly on glass. Go to FractureMe.com to learn more and use coupon code ATP15 for 15% off your first order. Now, Fracture prints are awesome. I have a bunch of them around our house here. I've sent some to friends. I just recently sent one as a gift. Um, They are so great. So basically what it is, is it's a really, really thin, lightweight piece of glass on the back side of it, shining through to the front, is printed your photo in vivid color right on the glass. So it looks like your photo is printed on glass, but it has the nice gloss from the front glass right in front of it. So it's really, really nice. And it's thin and lightweight, bonded to a little bit of foam board so you can mount like a picture hanging nail in there. Uh, so it, you don't have to worry. Like I know Gruber was talking on his on his podcast this week. Like I, I have the same stresses of like I don't want I don't like hanging large, heavy framed pictures on my wall because I'm always afraid they're going to fall off and tear the wall out and shatter and make a big hole everywhere and make a big mess. Um, fractures are very thin and light, and so I don't have that worry with fractures. And you don't need a frame. You don't you don't put a frame around these. They are a finished product. They, you get them from Fracture and you hang them on your wall. There's no messing with frames or paying a lot for custom framing. Uh, there's nothing like that. Uh, you just get it. It's a finished product. Hangs on the wall. Prints edge to edge directly on glass, and it looks fantastic. Uh, and John, you got some fractures, right? Yeah, my wife had this idea, and it was a good one. Uh, I don't have any applications like Marco, because Marco's got his app icons on fractures up on his walls. Uh, but I'm on a bunch of podcasts, and so she said, uh, podcast art is square. Why don't you get little fractures of all the podcasts you're on? And so I did, uh, and they're cute, and I have them up on my wall, and I have six of them. Six, seven of them, actually, because one that uh, that Marco and Tiff sent me is a gift. It's a picture of us uh, live recording ATP. Um, so this is, I mean... I guess I'm just buying gifts for myself. And, you know, I've got pictures of my family on my desk and everything. But the thing you don't think to do is, you know, like Marco's done, if you if you have like a work room, uh, put pictures of your accomplishments up on the wall. And it's like I would never do it if I had to like make prints of all these, then go to a store and buy frames and hang the frames. The fact that I could just go to a web form, upload a bunch of pictures, click, 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 and know that something would come that I don't need to frame that's ready to hang on the wall. That's what made me actually do this. And it was super easy and it was great. Yeah, I mean fracture. It is it is so good. They're pre- we we always get compliments on the fracture prints we have on our wall. Anybody who comes into my office always says something. Oh, are those the fractures or what are those? They look great. Everyone loves these things. Check them out. You know, get your pictures out of the Instagram feed, out of the Facebook feed. Get them actually printed on a real physical object. You will love it and give it as a gift. I just gave one as a gift. People love these things. It's great. Give your photos back the analog printed beauty they deserve. So anyway. Go to FractureMe.com. Prices start at just $15 for a 5x5-inch square. That's that's what most of our little squares are that we use for artwork. They also have non-square. Um, I believe they're 4x3 or 3x3x2. I forget which, but they have non-square aspect ratios available. 
Uh, but I love the little square ones for all these app icons, podcast artwork, and then I use the rectangles for uh, for photos. Check it out. It is the thinnest, lightest, and most elegant way to display your favorite photos. 15% off your first order with coupon code ATP15. FractureMe.com. Thanks a lot to Fracture, long-term sponsors of our show. All right, so the Apple TV is new, and it's called Apple TV. It's called the new Apple TV. <laughs> it's right. like an iPad 3 move. It's, it's, <laughs> this is just the new one. And right. then, you know, next year, they will they will retcon this one, the Apple TV 4, and they'll make a new, new Apple TV. <laughs> they were always just called Apple TV, right? Like, they were, the numbers, yeah. I mean, we, knew, we knew the numbers internally, but there was never in the branding, I think. Well, it never mattered before. You know, like, you know, now that it's an app platform, it will start to matter. You know, like, I, I think now the specs will matter more. People will know the specs more. They will advertise the specs more. And when new generations come out, they will push what is new about them, and they will give them, I think, you know, numbered names of some kind. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so this thing has an A8. It has, as far as we know, two gigs of RAM, 32 or 64 gig storage. Um, and it has this new fancy remote that has like a little mini touchpad on it and is also a Wiimote all in one. Can we just complain for a second about no, no gigabit Ethernet? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. What year is this? Like, it's so tall. There's, there's so much room in there. <laughs> 10, 100, because then you're like, oh, I got to make sure I don't hook it up to a, a, you know, a hub or a switch that downgrades everything. I know video is never going to be 100 megabits anyway. It's just the principle of things. Like, they did the whole alphabet soup of Wi-Fi, and they gave it reasonable storage. There's no 16-gig model. Th- starts at 32, unlike some other products we might mention later. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 2 gigs of RAM, A8. Looks great. 10, 100 is there anything like I? I hope like people stop supporting ten one hundred, so Apple will be forced. Anyway, fine, right? It's, it's better. <laughs> it's taller. It's good. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it the remote. I think we can talk a lot about this remote. Um, first of all, upsides. I am very happy to see both RF instead of IR, so you don't need line of sight. You don't need to keep the box out and make sure the IR gets there. Finally, as they say, exactly. And I'm very glad to see some kind of universal remote capability. I'm not sure how... Does that work through HDMI signaling or something? Or is there... Oh, yeah. Like, the existing Apple TV has this. I'm assuming it's just the same feature. Your existing Apple TV goes in the other direction, where you can use any remote you want with your Apple with your Apple TV, like the previous generation. Oh, yeah, I do. This, this is... You can use this remote. It's, like, it's exactly the same functionality, but the reverse, where you can have this thing control your other devices by training it to say... It's got basically it's got an IR thing. It's got to have an IR thing in it. Basically, like no, no, no. I, yeah, I think you guys are all wrong on this. So my understanding of the way this works is it's a Bluetooth, um, it's a Bluetooth remote, and then using some protocol. Shoot, I took a note on this. So let me stall. See, the time. see, thing is that how yes, it controls your yes. volume? Oh, please don't let that be true. Yes, please, no, I just they mentioned it. Would it. Have IR Schil- for the no, TV. no, 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 no. Schiller said CDC to control. Oh, see, see, I know it has a CDC to control the other stuff to turn, change your input or whatever, and all the other stuff. So Tipster says it has IR for the volume up down. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's got to be for the volume. All right. So that's just got to be. But all right. So that's that's a separate thing. Like you can, it's a learning remote. You can teach it. What does your TV expect you to spray at it in IR to make the volume move up and down? For everything else that I that it, that they mentioned, like oh, it can change your input on your thing to this, and it can control your other devices and make sure your TV is turned on. It's using CEC, which is some HDMI standard, which is a piece of crap. I don't know if the standard is a piece of crap or every single product in the entire universe that implements the standard <laughs> is a piece of crap. It doesn't matter. Uh, 
Well, you, I, you I said HDMI. That implies all of that. Yeah, exactly, right? And so, oh, it is so bad. All right, so it comes under a million different names. <laughs> if you buy Panasonic stuff, it's called, like, Veracast. If you buy Samsung, it's a different name. This is all the same standard. And, I, I you know, I don't know, again, I don't know who to blame for it, but I, I tweeted about it, and a million people were like, I have this on my Sony television hooked up on my Sony receiver with my Sony remote, and it's still nothing works. I've got a, a mix stack here with Panasonic and uh, I forget my Yamaha receiver or whatever. Like, here's the thing about CEC: it almost works. It you, you hook it all up, and you're like, "Hey, this is great!" All these different manufacturers who you know they're cooperating on this standard, and I can hit this thing, and it will do all this stuff or whatever. But then it stops working. And then you don't know why. And then everything freezes. Like one person said, I had a brownout once and CEC has never worked again. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's inexplicable. It's like SCSI termination. For the really old people, terminating SCSI chains, that black magic, that's what CEC is like, but worse because it's with your TV that you just expect to work. So well, I I played with this stuff extensively when I got, redid my computer, my television setup twice. I, I tried it. I tried it once and I said, maybe it's not ready. I tried it several years later. I got it all working. But there were just enough flakiness and just enough failure weight. The, the, the solution, if you're dealing with anything with CEC, CEC, if you have a television or receiver or anything, you will make your life better. Turn that off on every single one of your devices. Don't leave a single one with CEC enabled because it will screw up everything. Just turn it off everywhere. Turn it off on your receiver. Turn it off on your TV. Turn it off on your remote. Turn it off on your Blu-ray player. Turn it off everywhere. Turn it off on your game console. Then you will have a slightly more annoying system because you got to turn different things on, but everything will actually work. So, so what does CDC stand for? CEC. It's like... Oh, uh, CEC. CEC. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. It, it never goes by that name because every manufacturer has a different name for it. It's supposed to let your other devices talk to each other. That When I press this one button that it knows to turn the receiver on and change to input two and turn the television on and turn the volume to this and do it like... It's supposed to be so they can all communicate with each other. And it, and it almost works. It almost does. But it is just so incredibly frustrating <laughs> that it just... Seriously. So... It's, I guess it's nice that Apple includes this. There's a chance it could work fine for you. That chance seems slim. It seems really slim. Like I, I'm, I would encourage people who, uh, when I'm asking for feedback, like if you have a television setup with a bunch of CEC enabled devices, and it just works all the time and never any problems. I've not, I've heard from zero of those people. So now I'm asking if that if that happened to you, send us an email or a tweet and say I use CEC. I've been using it for years. And I never have a problem with it. I don't think we'll get any emails, but who knows? I didn't think there were many Taptivic Wizards out there. All I know, <laughs> all I know is when I when I mentioned it on Twitter, all I got were replies from people. I said CEC is the devil, and everyone was like, "Yes, it is the devil," and they just had horror stories about it. So that's not to say that Apple shouldn't have included it. It's fine. Go ahead and include it. Uh, but if you have grand plans that you think this is going to save you, this is not an Apple technology. This is a quote unquote industry standard technology, and it's a piece of crap. Uh, Real-time follow-up, I I apologize to the both of you. There is an IR transmitter on the remote as per the spec page on Apple's website. Uh, I'm still not clear if it's a learning transmitter or not, but... but The volume will work. That part part will totally work for you. If you're buying this and you expect to (laughs) use the volume control, that will work on your TV. That's honestly all I want, because that's the only reason I had any of the remotes out was... Although, turning the TV on and off would be another thing, but is that what CEC is supposed to do? Yeah, and even for that, don't just don't use it. <laughs> okay, that. I won't. Just don't use, worry. Use a separate thing to turn it. It's fine. You will you'll survive. I guarantee you my TV is too old to support it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm done being angry about CEC and now I can be angry about this remote. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about this is like the thing I kept thinking of looking at this remote, which obviously this is better than the previous Apple TV remote, which everyone hates and gets lost in your sofa cushions, right? 
Um, is it? Uh, yeah. Okay, go, go ahead. Anyway, uh, it's better because it has more buttons, more actual buttons on it, and it's got the little touchpad thing. It's got to be better. Um, anyway, the TiVo remote is the one I always think of. TiVo was the first sort of big mass market company, I think, because, it's you know, television remotes. Every year you buy, you know, the TVs come with a differently shaped remote, and there are trends in remote shapes and trends in what the buttons look like and how they're shaped. And, like, there's no sort of one theme. But because TiVo was a singular thing and kept its remote design for a long time, people know what a TiVo remote looks like. If you say, what does a Sony remote look like? Well, what year, what decade did you buy your TV? So that's why I'm singling out TiVo here. And I think TiVo is one of the first companies in this sort of singular, identifiable way that designed a remote around two things around actual human hands that hold things and also around like an interface design that recognized the most common things people want to do now tv remotes have a million buttons on them i totally acknowledge that it's not appropriate for apple i'm not saying apple should have made a tivo remote but the things that the tivo remote got right is like i said they made a shape that is not shaped like a rectangular solid or like a piece of art or like something it is shaped like something that is meant to be held in your hand it's meant to be easily scooped up off a hard surface or a couch and meant to be held comfortably in your hand it's shaped kind of like if you don't know what tivo remote looks like it looks kind of like a bone it's like two bulbous ends with a thin thing in the middle it's it feels good to hold in a way that a rounded rectangle or or a sharp cornered rectangle or any kind of rectangle or even like a wii remote the tivo remote is a much better fit for gripping human hands. And the second thing, if I pick up any TiVo remote, the dead center in the middle on the sort of neck of the thing is a gigantic, big, brightly colored, largest button on the remote, which is the pause button, the play, because that's the big feature of the TiVo. It's like, oh, you can pause live TV or whatever. And just above it is the play button. And I, again, there are a million buttons around it. I'm not saying that's, that's what Apple should have done, but it's a testament to the TiVo's design that the million buttons on the TiVo remote are all shaped uh, in distinct ways are put in clusters of related functionality that anyone's had a TiVo for years, you can grab that thing and find the buttons you want without looking at it in a sea of a huge number of buttons. You can find the directional pads. You can find, I, like, I don't need to look at my TiVo remote. I can hit all sorts of buttons all over the thing with hand shimmies and all this other stuff without ever looking at it because every button is distinct. You can feel it. It's not just a bunch of little tiny rectangles, not a bunch of uniform circles in a grid. Uh, and the buttons are different sizes, and the larger ones are more common, and the smaller ones are more obscure. And again, related functionality is localized. It is a, a brilliant remote design. They've tweaked it a little bit over the years. Again, not appropriate for Apple. What I want to see is that philosophy, that philosophy of acknowledging those things, that human hands are going to hold this. It's not going to be placed as a piece of art in the in the you know Museum of Modern Art, and Johnny Ives is going to look at it and scowl, right? It's going to be held by human hands. It's going to be on couches. It's going to be on surfaces where people have to pick it up. And some functions are more common than others. So every single button shouldn't be the same size. Related functions should be grouped together. Uh, and it should basically, you know, work more like people expect it to and less like a designer wants it to look. This this looks like still too much form over function, not enough function dictating form. Uh, still better than the little tiny silver thing with the stupid little directional circle that you can never tell which direction you're putting. And I like the touch thing and voice is the ultimate thing. We don't have to hit buttons at all. And I agree with all of that, but this is in the grand scheme of remote design. This is not a great remote design. I kind of like the old one, honestly, but, but you know, this, I mean, this looks fine. I'm looking forward to trying it. Um, I, I kind of miss with the old one that there was like the big center button, like you could, you could just pick it up without looking at it 
and you could operate everything without ever looking. This, I think, is going to take some getting used to because, like, the play pause is like this. You know, it, it's shaped just like all the other buttons, and I don't know. But I think it'll use it. I think the idea is that you can get away with using the swipey stuff. And by the way, did you? I, I put some of the notes in the thing, but if you looked at the little guide of like the Apple Television Human Interface Guidelines, they show an animation not with fingers but with dots showing the things you can do and they say swipe fine i know what a swipe is you swipe across the little touchpad right then they show both a click and a tap which are supposedly distinct things and how the hell are they distinct how is a click different there's no button right i don't Uh, understand this who knows like the click is more intentional it's like do you press harder do you have to bend the remote in half is it the force (laughs) you strike it with are there four sensors in it i have no idea but uh, i mean is this not tap to click all over again you know there's a click and then there's a tap and they're two different things i don't understand i I mean we haven't touched the device so we can't tell so i can't tell whether this is good (laughs) or bad but anyway i like the idea that i can pretend that the buttons don't exist but even if you just pretend the buttons don't exist i think this thing is too low profile too thin and too small to be comfortable to hold that's why like they sell those wooden holsters for the old apple tv remote for people to turn into something that's large enough that a doesn't get lost and b feels good in your hand yeah i don't know we'll see Uh, now i was just looking at the apple website the specs site and it says in the box for the new apple tv apple tv siri remote power cord lightning to usb cable is that going to be the same one we always have and if so that's ever so slightly presumptuous because the only usb on this is usb c so is that a lightning to usb c cable or is that just a regular lightning to USB cable? Yeah, because it's presumably it's to charge the battery, right? It's to charge the remote, I would imagine. And so it seems a little, yeah, it seems a little weird to me that they would include a cable that you can't plug into the device in order to charge the remote you need for the device. It's also, I think it's kind of funny, honestly, that this is the, is the second Apple device to have a USB-C port. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I didn't yeah, think about that. It seems appropriate because it's kind of like the second, the, the first device to be totally redesigned in the USB-C era discounting ios devices which i guess are sticking with lightning i guess but yeah that's a good point casey i don't know i don't know i i, I think the whole thing you know charging through lightning that, that should be fine um it does seem to have you know based on I, what did they say like oh yeah it said like providing months of battery life now the old apple tv remote seemed to provide years of battery life to the point where I, I think I buy a new Apple TV. I think, I, I think I've only had to replace the battery in an Apple TV remote, I think, twice. And I've been using Apple TV since the first one. I've never had to replace mine because I don't use it. There you go. So, you know, this uh, this is going to have an interesting problem where it's going to be... Uh, hopefully, it'll warn you ahead of time when it's running low. It's, it's, ju- it's a good battery life of, quote, months uh, that you will generally never have to charge it except one night when it dies. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's such a small battery, it'll charge so fast. It's like, kind of like the pencil where they're like, 15 seconds of charging gives 30 minutes of use. Like, that's the advantage of small batteries is, yeah, uh, and, and because it's Bluetooth, it will be able to tell the thing, hey, your remote is low, and you'll plug it in, and you'll plug it in for a half an hour, and you'll be good to go for like another month or something. So I think it'll be fine. And by that rationale, the new iPhones charge really fast. <laughs> oh, goodness. We're not getting there yet. Not getting there yet. All right, let's talk about uh, Siri on the TV because apparently, John, you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, that I like the, everything like that demos well, especially when you don't actually do a demo, but you just so can movies like, oh, show me all the James Bond movies, only the ones with Sean Connery, blah, blah, blah. Although if you say only, it might not work. You might have to say just and it becomes like a text adventure. And anyway, <laughs> anything, anything is better than trying to enter text with a remote control. We all agree on that. So I think there's a lot of leeway for people to struggle with Siri before it becomes as painful as trying to type things into a search box. Uh, So this is what we all wanted. 
if it works as designed, like if I don't, you've all tried the Amazon Fire, I think. Well, Marco has one, and I don't know if Casey's tried it, but like, put a microphone on the remote. Let me speak some stuff. When it works, it's useful. When it doesn't, it's kind of annoying. But again, it, there is a long gap before. Is like, is this more annoying than trying to type things on a keyboard? Especially if that keyboard is not QWERTY, but is in alphabetical order on the screen or something crazy like that. Uh, I hope, or really hope, it works. Like they show it working. Uh, like, but you know, someone tweeted a joke, which it was a joke, but it shows like the immediate limits you run into. Uh, show me with the shopping thing. Show me all the headphones that Marco likes, but only the ones that are, uh, you know, under eight hundred dollars. They don't know who Marco is. They should. He's in your contacts. Can you figure? Like, it's a human would be able to do it, but Siri can't. And so, you know, that's unfair. Obviously, you know, Siri's not artificial intelligence. But once you can talk to something and start being conversational with it, as soon as you hit those limits, and we all know the limits are there, as soon as you hit them, uh, it breaks the illusion and it becomes a little bit frustrating. But hopefully the the benefits of never having to use an on-screen keyboard to do stuff far outweigh the, you know the, the the downsides of bumping into the invisible walls that constitute the current limits of ai yeah and what impressed me a lot about siri was that especially in the app in the apple tv demos they did it seemed to do better with context than it's ever done before and i know one of the features of siri pretty much since launch was oh we understand context and it's conversational but but like you were saying you know oh show me an action movie oh show me the james bond movies no show me the james bond movies with uh, sean connery and i i'm actually misstating this it's not show me the james bond movies each time so okay show me james bond movies no show me the ones with sean connery and so that context is captain and it looked impressive now we'll see how it actually works but in principle it certainly demoed really well and i mean i'm looking forward to trying it if i end up getting one of these which knowing me i probably will i worry that it will work well for programmers who think procedurally who think of it as like a series of filter operations but if you give it to a regular person like it's you see little kids do it with siri all the time like on your phone they just start talking to it like a person if you're a programmer and you're thinking of it as like, I understand this, this is a series of filter steps and there is probably some uh, leeway in the, in the syntax, but there is like, what you're doing is you're holding in your head as a programmer, what you know to be the context state. So that when you say just the ones with Sean Connery, you, you understand that there is a context of your previous search and that is applying like that mental model does not exist as, as the user model in most people's brains. They can be trained to figure it out, to figure out how do I have to talk to my Apple TV to get it to do stuff, which is fine. Like, again, better than an on-screen keyboard. But I, what happens initially is people are amazed by the first demo and they just start talking to it. And it's like, no, like show me the James Bond movies. Uh, actually, I want something with Julia Roberts. And then it shows zero movies because there are no uh, James Bond movies <laughs> with Julia Roberts because they didn't understand that you said actually and you were just resetting the whole thing. And you know what I mean? But a human would like, boy, it's tough. It's a tough problem. I just want uh, efficient speech to text without having to get up. And a little microphone on the remote does that. So kudos. All right. TVOS. Actually, before we get to that, in the realm of remotes, I don't know if you guys saw this, but in the, in the same documentation that I pasted in the link to. They have game controllers shown. We talked about gaming, uh, or Apple talked about gaming a little bit, and they tried to show games uh, being used with the little accelerometers and your little tiny thing and trying to use like a D-pad on the touchscreen and all this terrible stuff. And so Apple does have support for game controllers. They have a picture of an actual game controller in their documentation. It has it says Steel Series on the top of it. I don't know if there's an existing uh, game controller for like iOS devices or it was just a prototype or it's coming out for Apple TV. But Apple defines the buttons and controls that should be 
on a game controller again this may not be new because i haven't been kept up with like they might have already defined this for ios but anyway this is the definition for for apple tv possibly also the old definition for ios but this is the first time i've seen the documentation it defines uh two shoulder pads two triggers a d-pad two thumbsticks uh, a menu button and four face buttons a b and x y which are in the mirror image uh, arrangement of the snes which i think is weird why not just go with the exact arrangement of the snes anyway um and then they give you the the expected behaviors they want them to do where they're like you know uh b goes back in the menu system a activates an item uh the shoulder buttons like if you're using them in an app like left shoulder navigates left navigates right and then uh, expected behavior in a game varies for all these things but anyway this shows a little bit of gaming ambitions it's like we're going to define a controller interface and a set of buttons and it's kind of up to the controller people how they want to arrange the buttons they can put those four buttons anywhere they wanted they can put the thumbsticks anywhere they want or whatever but at least they're in game console style saying uh trying to say anyway you should have four face buttons they should be a b and x and y and here's the expected behavior so if someone gets one game and the uh you know when they're going through the menu system to go into the next menu in your game they hit a and to go back they hit b but then if another game person does it reverse it drives you crazy so i'm happy to see them trying to pin down the user every console does this like on playstation whatever x is the button to go in and like a nintendo b is the button to go back in the menu so like every con- game console has to do this otherwise you will just get very frustrated trying to use a game because your muscle memory even just navigating the menus or whatever or from like what's going to what's probably the jump button and what's probably the fire button right for for genres of games or or anything i think of the menus because every game has menus and it's the most frustrating if some game reverses the uh this button goes deeper into the menus this button goes back in the menus um so that doesn't you know there was some rumors about like apple tv uh taking on game consoles or whatever people got their uh fun trying to write those stories beforehand that was not how apple tv was presented that is not what apple tv is never was going to be that that's fine what it is going to be is a way to play ios style games from your couch if the game developers can figure out some way to make the game work without touch controls and that i think is the biggest challenge and that get back to the remote and that gets back to the controllers and that gets back to universal applications where you can write a single game and have it work on the iPhone, the iPad, and on the Apple TV. Again, if you can figure out some way to control the thing without letting people touch your screen, because on the television, they can't touch the screen, or if they do, nothing will actually happen except uh, I'll get angry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I don't want to delay the, the TVOS discussion, but like, I think gaming is the, the part of this that I'm more interested in. What do you think about playing games on this they did the multiplayer across your road demo and people seemed excited about that but what what do you think the prospects of this as a platform for buying and playing games honestly i i'm i'm disappointed that apple doesn't just have a controller like a, a, a game controller you know i i mean I, in reality i'm not surprised by any of this uh, but i am disappointed that you know it, this is basically relegating games that will actually use controllers to this obscure you know side business it, it was like it's like making there were there were like 11 or something games that could take advantage of both a32x and a sega cd at the same time uh because nobody had both a32x and a sega cd uh i think this is going to be like that where like the number of people who buy the new Apple TV is going to be low for a while because it's just it's new and it's and it's more expensive, so it's going to be low for a while. 
combine that with the number of people who are going to have the new Apple TV who are also going to buy a game controller for it that that is not from Apple. Right now, there's the SteelSeries Nimbus thing. We'll put the link in the show notes. This is a real controller. Um, so, you know, they have this thing. There's no price listed. It's, it's, you, can, you can, like, pre-order it or something or, you know, let me know when it's ready, that kind of thing. Uh, it's probably going to be, like, 30 or 40 bucks, I would assume. Uh, maybe more. Who knows? How many people are actually going to have these controllers to make it worth game developers putting any effort into actually taking advantage of them? And and if you if you're a game developer, how can you justify writing a game for the Apple TV that that requires one of these things? You know, like if a game controller or if if a suitable enough game controller came with every Apple TV, then you could you could assume it's there and you can write for it. Now, as an optional hardware add-on. I think it's going to get very little support. The control is the biggest challenge with this thing. If you have an iOS game, tons of iOS games are out there. Lots of fun that take advantage of touch controls. Games that would be harder to play with a traditional controller are easier to play with touch, like uh, Flight Control. Who would want to play Flight Control with a console uh, controller? It would be extremely frustrating. It's super natural and fun to use your finger. That is an ideal touch game. How do you bring flight control to the Apple TV? You absolutely don't. You just can't. Like, I, you could make people swipe around on that little tiny pad. It would be terrible, right? So there's a different class of games you have to make for the Apple TV. Can you make a game that works on Apple TV and with touch devices? Maybe if it's a type of game like Flappy Bird where you just have a single input, which is a big red shiny button that you press periodically, right? That probably works fine on all of them because it's like tap anywhere on the screen, tap anywhere on the remote, everything's fine. But once you start getting even a little bit complicated, like even like Alto, it has enough complicated stuff in it that I don't know if you can play Alto with that. I suppose you can if you start using the accelerometers, but but coming up with one good control stream is hard enough. Coming up with two good control schemes for a single game that someone buys once as a multiple platforms seems like a tall order so i have to think uh that either if you're lucky enough to have a game that has a dead simple interface like crossy road it just like just makes the cut where it's like tap and a couple of swipes fine you're good um then you can get away with it uh if you have a more complicated control screen you can go apple tv only but then you have to make sure it's playable with the remote which is probably not a great experience and like marco said is anyone going to make a game that is just terrible to play with the remote but it's really meant to be played with a controller that no one's going to own maybe if it's shovelware i guess maybe it's like a shovelware port like everyone's like you know when is the inevitable port of thomas was alone but i think thomas was alone would actually be kind of okay with uh with a little controller because it's just kind of like four directions and a jump anyway uh the remote in addition to being what i think is a not very good remote is a terrible video game controller uh it'll be fine for taps and swipes but for everything else i don't know well, this is why, like, I, and, you know, again, none of this is really that big of a surprise, but I think going into this, a lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, well, Apple's going to make a big deal with games here, and and this is going to be a big game story, and, and, you know, again, unless it shipped with a decent gaming controller, uh, that was never going to be the case, and I think we all knew Apple was not going to do that, uh, and ultimately then, it I don't see this being a major game story. I, I think most games are going to be better on the iPhone and iPad than, than they're going to be on this TV because the, because there is no standard. Well, mo- most iOS games will. 
what you're thinking of as iOS games, right? Games that work well with touch interfaces. Obviously, they'll be better with touch interfaces. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but I, I'm saying like most games that will actually be made for this, <laughs> you know, because because I don't see a lot of games being made for it that that will actually like you know game games that will do well with a D pad or with button. Like I don't see that being made for this. So who is going to do that? And I keep saying shovelware, which is the the I guess the Wii era popularized that word of like say you are a game maker and you have a game. Uh, and you've already got the game, and it's available on like 17 different platforms, and it's not too much effort to hire some contractor to point it to the Apple TV? Nah, why not? Like, you have to just do the math. You're like, the game already exists. It's already done. It's already QA'd. We just want you to do a port of it, and then just retest it, and then send it out. Um, And it's a popular game, and it's like a popular franchise, and it's a well-known name or whatever. Can we make a Apple TV port of it, even if it's not the best port in the world? You know, they do the math and they say, you know what? Yes, we can. That's shovelware. There's a slim chance of that. That doesn't make anything into a great console. Um, is there a chance like iOS that someone can make a game that plays to the unique strengths of the Apple TV? Like with iOS is like, you know, who's going to write games for a phone that's stupid? But, you know, if they can flight control and all those early breakout games like, oh, you know what? There's a whole class of games that people haven't really investigated before that are great with touch controls. And those games would be terrible on a console and they'd be terrible on a PC, but they're great on your phone and they're great on your iPad. And there have been a lot of big success stories uh, related to that. Is there an equivalent for the Apple TV? I don't think so, because anything that would be super great on the Apple TV would also be super great on any game console and would probably also be super great on iOS. Like I don't I don't know if there's a if there's a place for games that are uniquely good on the Apple TV that in ways that they wouldn't be good on either iOS devices or consoles or PCs. So, I think it's uh going to be a tough road for that type of game for Apple TV. The open question I think I have is Will iOS games, which you know are super popular, and iOS the the breakout iOS games make a lot of money, and one of the biggest selling categories of software for in the App Store are games. Will that translate to Apple TV? Will enough of those games be portable enough to the Apple TV and be ported to the Apple TV to make Apple TV as successful a game platform as phones and iPads are? And I think there's a chance of that. Maybe not as successful, but like, you know, proportion wise, obviously they'll sell far fewer Apple TVs than they'll ever sell iPhones, uh, right? But uh, proportion wise, will most people who get an, uh, an Apple TV buy and download a couple of one or two dollar games? I kind of think they will. Uh, and like Crossy Road was the perfect game to demo because that'll be fine on the TV and multiplayer player will be fun. Uh, I still think there's a barrier of based on my kids and the other people i've seen there's a barrier to actually turning on the tv to do this like it seems like more of a ceremony than just taking out your ipad or your ipod touch or your phone and tapping out a few games across the road to actually go to the room with the tv and turn it on and sit down and turn on the apple tv and do a lot of the stuff maybe too much of a barrier to make that a thing that happens but uh i, I guess we'll see we haven't had an, another game platform like this to be as successful as this is probably going to be except for maybe the amazon fire tv i don't know are there games for the fire tv there oh yeah i i have them they 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 even sell a game controller for i think 30 bucks that doesn't come with it one of the games is crossy road i'm assuming apple's gonna sell more of these than fire tvs but i don't know do we not know how many fire tvs sell because there's another amazon thing where they don't tell you yeah but i mean first of all what you just said i think is a very very important factor of this is you know as i always say don't bet against the smartphone. 
this is going against smartphone in that most of the games that will be decent and compelling on the Apple TV will be iPhone and, I, and iPad games. And, and so you're, you're asking people to play them on a TV instead of playing them on an iOS device, which they probably also have. Uh, that, I think, is... I don't. I think it's going to be very few games played on very few occasions where that's going to really be worth doing for most people. Um, secondly, so you know, so so the games. I mean, you know, usually I think it's actually going to be worse on the Apple TV because you don't have the touch screen and most people aren't going to have a game controller. So you have. So you, it's actually worse control on a larger but crappier display that you can't touch that is going to you know it's it's going to be it could, it could be more communal that's why i think multiplayer across your road because doing multiplayer across your road when people are gathering around a single ipad and both fingers are stabbing at the screen like that's and i even think that little i don't know any any game that has a, a spectator aspect of it or a communal aspect of it like maybe people who make game shows and party games for it uh then i guess you get into the thing of like can i buy more of these remotes or do i have to use my phone or my ipod touch and and all those other factors. I, I don't know. Like, there there is a market for a couple of breakout hits for this, but I don't think any of them are going to break out in the same way that iOS games did. Right. And so then to close this out for, for now, I guess, uh, do you think this this will sell well? So, you know, if you think about it, this is priced at, at 149 and 199 for 32 and 64 gigs. And it is, as Casey mentioned earlier, pretty comical that this, for 150 bucks has more memory in it than the new iPhones for way more money. Uh, but we'll, we'll fight that fight another day, I think, <laughs> uh, and today also. Um, this, you know, you look at the Amazon Fire TV, that's, what, 100 bucks for, for, the, for the good one? Do we even know? So it's about 100 bucks for maybe 150 for the good for the good Fire TV. Um, again, no game controller included. You got to pay 30 bucks more for whatever. I don't think the the market for these set top boxes is is in a you know upwards price climb here. I think I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is these little like cheap forty dollar stick versions of the boxes are selling very it's the well. The size of the remote, right? Oh, yeah, or smaller. Yeah, yeah. These things just plug into an HDMI port and and then they always, they never show you the little USB cable it needs for power. Um, those are selling very well, it seems. Whenever I talk to people who are buying TV boxes, they always talk about those things. It seems like people really love those things. They're very cheap, they're basic, but they're fine for stuff like Netflix. And because you know that that the kind of stuff that most people are actually using these boxes for so far. Okay, and Plex. And, yeah, and Plex. Sure, <laughs> you and your Plex. I love me some Plex. <laughs> You'll fight the Plex fight. All right. Um, so, so you have that whole part of the market where. I don't see them wanting to suddenly spend $150 on this uh, on something to solve that kind of need. So I, I think the low end is and and like the common case of watching Netflix and stuff and Plex is going to be solved perfectly well by everything else that's not this box. It, I think looking at Amazon is is a worthy uh, example here. Do you think Amazon actually sells a good number of the expensive Fire TV box, the the good one that is that it, that has a fast CPU and can run apps and games. The one the one that I bought, which is you know it's it's fine. It, it's you know it's not amazing, but it's fine. Uh, it is it is very fast. It does have some games that I played once and never again because they're terrible. Uh, I I think this is going to be a, a a slow climb up the sales ranks for for the Apple TV because it is coming into a very cheap market with with a a relatively expensive offering compared to the other things. And again, they've done this before. Apple has done this before. However, in this case, what makes it so much better 
I think is going to be like you know this this whole app story that they're betting big on, but I'm not sure that's going to actually play out. It it, it doesn't seem like. I mean, I'm sure, you know, people like us, you know, most of us are probably going to buy something like this. Uh, we'll talk about it on our podcasts and everything. But do you see, like, regular people wanting this, you know, not not just a TV-connected smart box that can play Netflix, but wanting this one and being willing to spend this amount of money for it? Tim said it on the thing. The future of TV is apps. Like, the other shoe hasn't dropped for this yet. And there's lots of stories leading up to this announcement who talked about this. Like, this is the box. This is the hardware. And they showed the software and the cross-service search and all sorts of things that other boxes have as well. The other shoe is, hey, Apple, is there something I can pay for a monthly subscription to get basically TV without going through a cable company? And the answer right now is no. But... Uh, the rumors have been for years and years that that's what Apple's trying to provide to you. They're going to try to find a way where you can pay some monthly amount of money that is less than your current cable bill, and you can get quote-unquote TV in addition to Netflix and Hulu and whatever else you subscribe to and all the other services and Apple things and blah, 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 but also TV. You'll be able to watch your uh, your baseball games on the MLB app and your NFL games, the NFL app, and you'll be able to see local news and you'll be able to see all the channels that you want to see and, and and HBO and Showtime and ESPN and, and Apple doesn't have that yet. Like they, we keep hearing that they're trying to work work on it. Uh, that is the other shoe for this. This is the hardware is ready for it. That will make this a way more compelling thing because, like Marco was saying, you know, if you just want something to stream Netflix, every TV does that now. And if you have an old TV, you can buy one of these boxes or one of these sticks, or you can search across Amazon. And how many people actually subscribe to Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix who can search across it? Most people don't. They just subscribe to one of them. Uh, hopefully, this is a better box than those little sticks or whatever but that just you know it's just high-end customers like oh i just want something better and they're like oh well the chromecast is fine it lets me watch my stuff but this is not a, a fully fledged customer solution yet so we're still just waiting for apple to get its deals worked out yeah i agree and a lot of the regular people that i know that have one of these sort of um apple tv boxes or equivalent a lot of them are swearing by Chromecast. They, they, that works for them. It's all they need. Um, to go back just very quickly, I think that I don't really find anything that compelling about this other than that it's a new Apple toy. Um, I think for, for to really get popular, either it needs to replace cable, like you were just saying, John, or depending on maybe one of a couple of different things, if if say for example that MLB app existed but for the NFL, that would be a big darn deal. So if if there was some sort of exclusive Sunday ticket style, which is exclusive to Directv, if there was a way that I could buy an Apple TV and then pay a little extra to get basically Sunday ticket in an app that didn't stink, you know, in an app written by the MLB's media arm or whatever it is. I would go berserk for that. I would love it. And if it's not the NFL, if you're rolling your eyes about another American talking about stupid American football, then fine, soccer. Or, fine, F1. And there might be F1, uh, some some fancy F1 app on this thing. Who knows? But having something hugely popular, and I'm concentrating on sports, but isn't exclusively sports, but having something like that, I think would really drive a lot of adoption. But without either the TV service being replaced by by the Apple TV or something that I care or you know you care really really strongly about being on the Apple TV and a really really great experience like that MLB app looked like I I just I don't see huge adoption 
Not yet, anyway. Yeah, if you're just augmenting your existing TV or you're like a weirdo cord cutter who thinks they can get along without quote-unquote real TV, hey. then, you, <laughs> then you're still in like the in the small category. You're never going to get the mass market in, until you can fully replace TV for those people. And once you can get, in on, like you said, like people who are really into a particular sport, of course they want the thing, to, but they're probably going to get that in addition to their other thing, right? And all the exclusive deals are a problem there. That is still kind of like a an enthusiast market to get to the mass market you have to say this can be how you watch tv uh and you have to you have to say it covers your television watching needs like the old boring way right and then you once you got them on board you can say oh and by the way the future of tv is apps and if you're really interested in one particular thing if you're really interested in knitting or you're really interested in f1 or you're, whatever the thing is really interesting by the way there's an app for that kind of television or movies or videos or whatever and the app does more than just let you hit play and watch a movie, which, again, is, that's the bar that current Apple TV is not crossing, right? But we're imagining here that these apps are all great and this product is good. The apps can really add to areas of interest. And I think everybody who subscribes to television in some way has some area of interest that potentially someone could make an app for that would make them interested in that experience. It's another chicken-egg thing where no one's going to make those apps if no one buys the box. No one's going to buy the box if it can't replace their TV. Uh, and this can't replace their TV for, because Apple hasn't done the deals and blah, blah, blah. So really, it's still just an augmenter's box. And what we're all hoping is that this is a better augmenter's box than the existing crappy Apple TV or than any of the other things. But for regular people, like I said, if they're just like, well, Chromecast can watch YouTube and it can watch Netflix and it's fine. And, and like I said, every single modern TV can all do Netflix already and probably Amazon Video. Like, why do I need a box? My television does that natively and it probably does it fine, even though it's really slow and hinky and takes a long time to launch. You're never going to convince them that this is better because it launches faster and smoother. Really, for this to work, like Tim said, the future of TV really needs to be apps. Uh, and you can start with the early adopters and the enthusiasts. You can start with the people who, like, I found this kind of hilarious, but also I totally understood it. Like, the people who really do want to watch two baseball games at once. I understand those people. I know they're out there. <laughs> like, How can you watch two baseball? It's a thing that happens. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I mean... I Talking about my kids, I, I I think I got a picture of this most recently. My son was sitting on the couch, watching, air quotes, television, uh, playing his Nintendo DS with a YouTube movie playing on his iPad with a headphone from his iPad going into his ear. <laughs> and I was like, can I turn the TV off? He's like, no, I'm watching that. I'm like, Are you're you sure? watching it, you're playing Pokemon in your DS, and you're also watching a YouTube video, but you're really just listening to it. No, no, it wasn't even a YouTube video. He was playing music. And there was a video playing. Uh, just, I don't, anyway. He would love to watch <laughs> the, two baseball games at once. That's nothing. Oh, hey, every every football, every college football season, at one point or another, there'll be enough games on simultaneously that I will typically have two televisions and one or two computers all in my family room so I can bounce my eyes between all the different games all at once. Uh, also, I can hear Marco rolling his eyes. See, um, baseball, <laughs> nothing happens for such a long time that is really not, you can just like, I'll pay attention to this game, and then I'll pay attention to that game. And you didn't miss anything. You just missed like a couple of butt scratches over there. So you have time to time slice it but in a fast pace like can you watch two basketball games at the same time i don't think you can uh, but i'm sure people do. i'm sure people can yeah. all right let's talk about tvos because we still have some iphone to talk about at the rate we're going we're going to be longer than the damn goodfellas podcast 
there's a TVJS framework. I have not looked into any of this. So seeing this in the show notes is the first news I had. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a way for you to do, if you don't want to write like a full-fledged app, like say you're someone who's got a bunch of video, like you are the knitting channel, right? And you got, I got a bunch of knitting videos and I've got them organized into categories and I've got like shows and, and I've, you know, I've got tutorials and stuff. And I want to, I want to be on Apple TV. I want people to be able to launch it, but I don't know how to write an app and I don't know how to want to hire iOS developers. And really all it is is just a bunch of categorized bins of video that you can start playing, right? How can I get that up and running as fast as possible? I don't know much about this because I've just looked at the pages briefly, but it seems like they have a way to do that with web technologies, with HTML5 video and JavaScript to slap something together with web-style technologies to give you an application that has a bunch of thumbnails of video with player controls. I mean, we've all seen this. We've all seen HTML5 video players. YouTube's HTML5 video player at this point where you can have a kind of a customized UI and it plays video just fine. You can sort through them and you just make essentially web pages and iframes and all sorts of other things you're expected to do with a simple JavaScript API. Uh, and I think it's a good way to, you know, to make the barrier to entry for people who have a bunch of video and want to make it available in an app on the Apple TV uh, quickly and easily. Seems like a reasonably good idea. I hope it's not terrible because we've all seen terrible HTML5 video players and longed for like actual native controls for video. Uh, but I'm guessing that because the problem domain is small, a bunch of thumbnails of videos uh, that you play, I, I think it should probably be fine. But anyway, this is after reading like three sentences on the web pages. If I'm entirely wrong about what TVJS and TVML kit are, I'm sure we'll find out in a follow up. All right, and tell us about local storage. Oh, yeah, these are the other snippets I just pulled out of that thing. There is no persistent local storage for apps on Apple TV. This means that every app developed for the new Apple TV must be able to store data in iCloud. That is a direct quote from Apple's documentation. No persistent local storage. So it's great that they have 32 and 64 gig uh, models. If you write an app, you can't use any of that. I mean, you can, incidentally, in the course of running, but there is no persistent local storage. Say you've got a bunch of files and you want to download them and store them on the Apple TV. You can't. You can put them in iCloud. Well, no, no, no. Wait. You can download them, but it's all considered uh, temporary purgeable files so that you can download them. Yeah, you can download them, but next time you launch, they might be gone. Right. It's non-persistent. It's like, yeah, it's like, you you know, it's going to download stuff. It's going to put it on, on the, the, the storage, but that's not, you know, you can't have any guarantee that's going to be there next time you run. Like, you can't store stuff there. Uh, so it is just there temporarily, and presumably if something more important having to do with actual video watching comes along, it will wipe all your crap and it will be gone the next time you're launched. So, like, you can't save documents there, for example. Like, So if you're thinking of making an Apple TV app that, I don't know, it's like a drawing program that lets you draw, like, with a magic wand with the remote... You can't save the user's drawings on the Apple TV because next time you launch, they could all be gone. You must use iCloud, uh, which shows that I guess they need all. I mean, I guess they need a lot of storage for those uh, high definition screensavers, right? Like they can put stuff on there permanently, but uh, your apps can't. And the second thing, speaking of storage constraints, the maximum size of an Apple TV app, as in the size of the app bundle itself, like that you download from the store, is 200 megabytes. Anything beyond the size needs to be packaged and loaded using on demand resources. We talked about it at WWDC shows about app thinning which will help make your app smaller and on-demand resources where you don't ship the resources with the app it downloads them on demand i'm not sure how the on-demand resources i didn't get read into this the on-demand resources in ios it's like you get your app from the app store and it's small and when it needs stuff it downloads it but then it keeps it right do you know if on-demand resources are purgeable marco i i don't know i haven't looked i would guess they probably are but uh either way it sounds like they probably are for the apple tv to my recollection they were on any platform 
like yeah you download it on demand but again the same deal like maybe something will come through and clean them up so the next time you launch you'll need to download them on demand again but anyway this is pretty constraining which means no one like you're not going to have the equivalent of single app remember the single app ebooks on the early days of ios where it's like a single book would be an app for 99 cents uh no one is going to be able to sell apple tv apps that are like three hours of video you just download it and it's like you know like no that's not going to happen because it's got to be 200 megs and they'll probably reject you if you try to do that anyway for other reasons. Um, yeah. So and I, for games, that basically means all that on-demand stuff that they showed you, that's like mandatory for games unless you have something like uh, Crossy Road. I don't even think Crossy Road's probably fixed under 200 megs. I don't know. Maybe it does. It's, a, it's no textures in it. It's just flat shaded, I think. Um, but yeah, if you're thinking of making a game... If, if, if again if you had any illusions like all of those articles that are like apple tv is going up against playstation and xbox mm-hmm. yeah with no local storage and a 200 meg limit on a thing and um, no forget it anyway uh those are pretty tight and it makes me wonder what they think they need all that storage for i mean I, the easy answer is to to spool up hd video i guess but i'm not complaining like i love the fact that the storage is generous but to go from what is the apple tv 3 is like eight gigs or something crazy like that and this is not 4K video. This is the same resolution. There's room for way more video to stay on the device, which I, I applaud. But if you're an app developer, boy, this, this seems pretty harsh. They do not want you using any of that flash storage on this device uh, permanently. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, even just as a customer trying to buy this device, they offer it in two capacities, 32 for 150 and 64 for 200 and how do you as a customer like i mean obviously they're gonna they're gonna figure out some bs way for the employees to explain it in the stores and and half the employees are gonna mess up the explanation and do it their other way and it's ugh. anyway um it's like it's, it's like the way they try to explain ram on the computers in the stores oh boy anyway um how is a customer are you supposed to know which one to buy because it's it, you know the the actual benefit is most likely to just be that well when you hit a purge request it kind of sucks it's like it's like when you're in safari and your page get, get kicked out of memory on ios and you gotta like reload the page next time you go back where if you have a whole bunch of really big apps and games on your new apple tv and you go to one you haven't used for a while and its data has been purged since you last used it then that's gonna have to re-download stuff and you're gonna have to wait a second while i re-download stuff uh so the, getting the bigger one would make that happen less often uh, or possibly never for you, depending on how many things you have on there. So that is the reason to buy the bigger one. How many people are going to know that, though? They might also say, speaking of things that Apple Store employees would say, oh, you can download more apps, which is strictly true. But you know how many 200 meg <laughs> apps you would have to download to make a dent in the extra 32 gigs of memory you get? Like, do that math. Uh, it's a lot. So, well, and so what they're probably going to say is, if you're gonna if you're gonna be playing games on it, you should get the big one. That's probably what that's probably how they're going to message. Yeah, because you download one gig levels, I guess. If you're you know something with lots of textures, you could get a 200 meg game that on slowly on demand loads a huge number of levels. And if you play that game a lot, it will be nice that it doesn't have to re-download it. But again, how many? Well, I guess you could fill it with games. I guess I'm trying to think. What is it? Is it what is it? Video or on-demand resources? You know, on-demand again. They're purgeable, blah blah blah, or whatever. But are there enough big games that you're going to be annoyed that like if I play this game and then I play that game and I go back to the previous game, one of the levels gets purged? Maybe I don't know. I I think this thing 
based on what we know now about what the storage is going to be used for, I think the 32 is probably big enough for most people. And it's great that I can say that about the smallest capacity Apple device in any product category. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, it all depends really on how much games actually take off on this thing. And like that, because, you know, as we said earlier, like there's so many hurdles for game developers to jump through to get on here. Now, one of the additional hurdles is you're going to have to adopt this app thinning model and, and this download on demand resources stuff. So, like, again, it's, just, it's adding more work to, to what this is. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough sell for a lot of game developers, especially when the install base is starting at zero. Um, but uh, if this all comes together, but that's a big if. But if this all comes together to the point where they sell enough of these things and that apps are compelling enough and good enough and useful enough on them that there can be a vibrant app market. And that's a huge if. But if that happens and there is a vibrant app market that forms in those conditions, then this will be really cool. Because I do like the idea of TV becoming appified, you know, like the, you know, the, I think the way Tim presented it on like, you know, this is why we are going this way. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, you can look at it partly and say, well, that's BS because they couldn't make content deals in time. But I think they honestly do believe that, you know, I, I think that really is where they think this should go, where they think it is going. And, and that's right. Well, the, the content deals would be the same thing, though, wouldn't they? Like content deals would just be more apps, right? It, presumably yeah uh, you know because it, it seems like it, well, i mean who knows what they what they're planning with some kind of tv plan or whether it's just getting getting a bunch of apps on here um regardless you know like they, they now have the groundwork laid for it to go either way so so they 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 have the most options open I, and i think if you look at like how people watch tv on iphones and ipads it is the app model you know apple does not sell a tv package for your ipad even though lots of people watch tv shows on ipads uh it you know instead it's just you want if you want to watch TV shows on your iPad, you go download the apps for those shows or download Netflix or whatever. You know, so that's going to be good. This you know this also gives them hopefully if Amazon makes uh, a, an app for Amazon Video, then this gives them a way to get Amazon Video on the Apple TV without like you know whatever you know competitive sucking up of their pride they couldn't do on the previous Apple TV, whatever that was. Um, so you know, I think this is a great model if it works. But there are these big challenges to getting it to work that I do have doubts. I think if it does work, it might be a very slow launch just because, again, starting from zero customer base. And I think that I think the 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 story to customers of why they should spend one hundred and fifty dollars on this new box for their TV is, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not it's not like this got to have thing that I have to go buy this immediately. Like it's I don't think a lot of people are going to feel that 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 like want that desire that lust to go get this right now well don't worry because by next summer apple tv we built into 50 percent of the television sold in the united states <laughs> remember that one was it 50 percent or was it 100 i don't remember what uh, eric schmidt yeah speaking of uh, of apps like television as apps the current version of that actually has a lot of crappy sides to it like the the, the, the crappy side of apps like when i was on vacation i watched uh, mr robot and humans and uh, i think was it uh Mr. Robot is on USA and Humans is on AMC. There's an AMC app for iOS and there's a USA app, right? And of course, there's also the website. So I think maybe that was the first thing I tried. I went to the website on my iPad and it's got HTML5 video and it kind of plays, but it was, it would like start playing, but then sometimes like it would go to the commercial break and not resume the show. And I'm like, oh, I should get the app. That'll be better. Uh, and it wasn't. Uh, the apps were, looked like they were kind of cruddy web views inside there. And like when I was trying to watch Humans, very often, 
first of all, it was like my, you know, all the things I've described before where you can't scrub from one place to the other. So I would start watching the show, and if I closed the iPad or had to come back to it later, it wouldn't pick up where I left off. In the app, it would not pick up where I left off. And it would start at the beginning again. And so I'd have to try to move the scrubber to the part where I went, but if I scrubbed past one of the little dots that indicated a mandatory commercial break, it would move the scrubber back and replay that same ad. And then sometimes when I got done with the ad, it would automatically jump back to the beginning. At one point, I believe I spent over the course of a day, four hours on and off, trying to get back to the point where I was watching the program. Like I'd try every once in a while, I would let it spin, I would let it go through a thing. Sometimes I'd just let it play to try to get up to the point. Four hours, I think, I spent on and off trying to get to the scene where I left off in like a 45 minute television show so i think the app model like hey we'll make we'll make the i forget this was the amc or the usa app i'm forgot, I'm sorry for who, whichever network i am uh throwing under the bus that actually didn't have a problem Although they were both pretty crappy honestly but the one i spent a really long time with was like the mandatory commercials and, and not letting me pick up where i left off uh that's just unforgivable and that was an app. That was not a web thing. That was an app. So if the future TV is apps, God, I hope they're better apps than these because these <laughs> these were apps. These were apps made by big television networks with a lot of money with successful shows, and the shows are good, but the apps were terrible. And that that is not acceptable. No one is going to let you replace their TV with something like this, right? Like just no one. No one will accept that. Like TV has to be TV. I have to turn it on and it has to play and it has to be it. And then better TV is like TiVo, and that's for like a you know a small category of weirdos who want to spend a lot of money in this box. But but bottom line is it's got to play. And if you try to play and it doesn't play, that's not TV. Throw this thing away. Uh, so I really hope that whatever Apple's eventual content is, that's what we're talking about. Like, is, is the content deal just more apps or is it some different thing that Apple works on that, that does Apple provide some kind of quality guarantee? Would they not let the AMC or USA apps ship as part of their Apple television subscription deal because they're just not good enough quality? They shouldn't because they're not. Um, yeah, maybe we'll wait until uh, next year to see if uh, Eddie can, can uh, sling those deals. Just one more short button off. He'll, he'll, he'll pull it off. <laughs> God, please no. <sighs> Please now see his belly button soon. You know, you're right. Like as as we move towards this era of everything has its own app and every network has its own app. I mean, we see the same thing happening in podcasts, which kind of scares me just for the you know, not only from the future of, of my app kind of perspective, but also as a listener, because it does suck to have to go to like different publishers apps to watch different shows. And then you know, the apps are of very different quality. And so, so, you know, not only can you not use one good app to watch everything, but you have to go to all these different crappy apps to watch everything. And that does suck in a lot of ways. However, I think looking at looking at where we are with, you know, looking at how the how iOS has developed in this way with with TV content and movie content, how iOS has developed in this way, the situation the Apple TV has been in, obviously Apple has tried very hard to get some kind of like you know, normalized deal thing going. And, and we don't know if they've succeeded. So far, it seems like they haven't. Uh, but... Either way, you know, we really, I, I think this is kind of just like the best solution that we have given given the modern reality of the, of the content producers and the content landscape. Like, I don't think, who knows, Apple could prove this wrong in six months and release such a plan where everything's standardized and you just pay them. But it seems like this is probably the best they could do given, you know, given the reality of the market. Yeah. All right. So... We have iPhones to cover, but this is a uh, natural stopping point. And 
We do not have a fourth sponsor in the strictest sense for this episode, but I thought, um, or we thought it would be a good idea to take a quick moment and just call attention to a friend of the show, Stephen Hackett, um, is trying to raise some money for St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital. And uh, he, he has a long and, um, well, fortunate but unfortunate history with St. Jude's. Um, his eldest son, Josiah, has been diagnosed with cancer, um, and he has had a long struggle with it. Uh, Stephen has probably received, Stephen and his family has probably received millions of dollars worth of medical care for free because of donations to St. Jude. Um, it, they are, Stephen didn't ask us to do this. We just thought it was the right thing to do. So if you've made it this far and, uh, have a couple of bucks to spare, we'll put a link in the show notes in the sponsor section for where you can go to donate a little bit of money. And I think it would mean a lot to us and it would mean a lot to Stephen and it would mean a lot to children really all over the world. Um, because St. Jude's does accept, uh, patients from all over. Uh, it would mean a lot to all of those people if you could you know, scrape together a couple bucks and uh, send it their way. So if you're feeling kind this, uh, this September and have any money left over from any purchases you might be making these days, uh, please think of throwing a few bucks their way. Yeah, it's really, it's a fantastic organization. I mean, St. Jude, like what they do, uh, I'm fortunate that, that, that my family has not needed this, but I'm so, so glad this exists in case we ever do. And for all the people who do. Uh, it, it, this is the kind of thing like you want a place like this to exist. It really does help society in such a big way, and they they just you know they just do such great work there. And and the fact that that you know it's 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 hard enough if you have if you need to go to a a child cancer hospital. That's that's never a, a good thing. Uh, but the fact that you know imagine if people had to pay for this and and if they had to then you know deny care because somebody couldn't afford it or whatever i mean that's just horrifying so it, the work they do is amazing go go support saint jude you know donate to saint jude it's it's fantastic that's just like an example of like the most important blanket rule like you think well you know they're all kind of the same different doctors but you should hear like the most important thing is like the the blanket rule like doesn't matter if you have enough money like just take that off the table is that because that that is the ultimate, you know, like you just you just can't think about it. Like, don't worry. Like that was the most I think it's the most important rule they define for this. It does not matter how much money you have, period. Everything else you're going to have plenty to worry about. That's one of the things you don't have to worry about. And that one rule, I think, defines this entire place as like a, a, a place of safety and a good place. Like, And maybe strangely enough, that type of thing makes me want to give money. Right. Knowing that if I give money. It's going to go to help pay for kids to get better, right? That that they're you know that kids are going to be accepted here. Period. How can they do that? Because people give them money. So you have to give them money so they can do this. Exactly. And September is National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, which is why uh, Stephen's doing all this fundraising. He does it every September, and this is a really great cause. So check it out. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, or just go to five twelve pixels net, and you can find the link there. All right. So iPhone 6S, and if you're one of those crazy kids in the Plus Club, iPhone 6S Plus. A9, Taptic Engine, 3D Touch, better camera, which I had for a fleeting moment, I was very scared that the better camera had more megapixels than my fancy pants Micro Four Thirds camera. It does not. I still have probably one more year before that's the case. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to a camera than just how many meg megapixels it is, but I did get very scared. Um, just for a moment there. Anyway, uh, it, this looks pretty good to me. It looks more feature packed than I think most S years have been. 
Um, it, it also has a new version of Touch ID, which supposedly is a lot faster. Um, I'm really interested to play with the 3D Touch. I think that it's interesting. I have mixed feelings about it. I, I think I'm going to love it, and it certainly is very clever and different. Um, but it also adds another layer to an operating system and, and a piece of hardware that I think has been getting considerably more complex over the years. If you think about, you know, I joined the iPhone, or I, I got my first iPhone when it was a 3GS. And that, by comparison, was unbelievably simple. I think we were on like iOS 3 at that point, if memory serves. I'm probably wrong about that. But it was so simple by comparison to what we have today. And it's interesting to me that we're getting closer and closer with all these options and gestures, gestures from the bottom, gestures from the left, gestures from the right, gestures from the top. And and now we have, well, did you touch or did you really touch or did you really touch and hold? <laughs> all of these different interaction mechanisms and paradigms I'm not saying they're a bad thing. I'm not saying that this isn't the march of progress. I'm not saying this isn't good in the grand scheme of things. But I don't know. I've just had this weird feeling all day long after seeing the keynote that things are getting more and more complex. And this device that was kind of like this this haven of, of cleanliness and simplicity just doesn't seem so simple anymore. Do you guys feel the same way? Like, like Marco, do you feel like this is getting more and more complex or am I being crazy here? No, I've actually felt that way uh, for a while about many of Apple's products. Uh, I mean, so like just just the other day, so I've had an Apple Watch since day one. I discovered about three days ago that you can swipe down to dismiss a notification rather than just <laughs> scrolling to the dismiss button and trying to tap it in a way that isn't interpreted as a scroll. Like I, the fact that I that I've had a watch all this time and I follow this stuff so closely and I didn't know that until recently, like just shows you like just like there's so much hidden hidden stuff hidden shortcuts hidden features i I think that shows they're doing a good job don't you because like the the trick is to add the the deep functionality without making it more complicated for people who don't know or care about it so the fact that you could have a watch for a real long time and not know that shows that a you didn't need to know that to dismiss notifications uh and b uh not knowing that it was there did not interfere with and like it didn't it didn't weigh on your mind you didn't have a button that was in your face you weren't like i mean maybe you accidentally triggered it like that's the whole trick with all these things like am i accidentally triggering it i think some of the stuff on ios uh, lurches into that area like the notification center i've seen people accidentally bring that down and go what the heck is that right or double tapping the home button and they don't know what that is because they've never seen it before and they just did it by accident that's what you don't want to happen but for the most part apple has been a pretty good job of having all that advanced stuff there but if you don't know about it and don't want to deal with it, it's not in your face. And I think a lot of the iOS 7 simplification of getting controls out and trying to make things look simpler, while at the same time hiding much more functionality than underneath little buttons, it's walking kind of a fine line. And I'll have to try this 3D touch thing to see what side of the line it goes on. But it seems like the same type of thing. If, if you don't know that it's there, maybe it won't bother you. But when they showed those demos, I just had to think that like, there's at least two or three things that I think once people figure out that it's there and it becomes part of their vocabulary, and I think it's perfectly within the realm of everybody to, to have this become part of the vocabulary, whatever it's called, long pressing, force touching or whatever, on an icon on your home screen and picking one of the three common things, 
like even just to take a selfie, which I showed like 17 times, that's a good feature that people will use. It's better than launching the app. It is not so complicated that I think people can't do it. And once somebody does it once, the phone's going to feel broken if you can't do that on. They're going to, if you take someone, take a teenager with a phone with iOS 9 who's used to like two of those features on two apps. That's it. Just two apps in their home screen that they use that thing all the time and put them back to iOS 9. They'll be like, my phone is broken. Throw this junk away. Right. And that alone, like the doomsday scenario that Marco was always thinking about, like, what, what about every app you got a long press and hard press and a million things are sprouting out and you didn't mean it? Like, you don't want that to happen. But I think the additional functionality provided by this, and I'm hoping it is better than long pressing would be because I hate long pressing. I, I think it's worth it. Uh, I think we're ready for the next step in the interface. And this functionality, I think you can put in applications in the right way to provide shortcuts and extra functionality for people who want them without getting in the way of people who don't. A lot of the stuff they demoed is already kind of pushing against the line, like the whole thing of pressing hard on the little Harry Potter photos where they start moving. Is that really a great use of force press? Or would I rather just have a button for that? Mm, I don't know. Harry Potter should smile more. <sighs> oh, well, that was, <laughs> so that was an Adobe demo, not Apple. But then again, Apple vets everything that's in these things. So we'll put them with the blame for it as well. Yeah. Anyway, the, th- the 3D touch uh, thing, I'm mostly optimistic about it, and I was I found a lot of their demos very convincing and a lot of their demos very, very silly. So I guess we'll all just have to try it ourselves and see. Like, the, here are the tests for it. If you pretend that this feature doesn't exist, does it ever bother you? And I'm hoping the answer is no. Like, you know, we could get all, all get these phones, start using iOS 9. I'm not getting this phone probably. But anyway, Marco will get it. Probably Casey. Poor Casey. <laughs> Poor Casey in that, that yearly plan I felt for Casey when they put that thing out. I'm like, no. Aaron was like, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you pretend 3D Touch does not exist, does it does it impact your life at all? And I'm hoping the answer is no. And the second thing is, now pretend it does exist. Did you find anything useful for it? And I think the answer is definitely going to be yes for like, even if it's just for two or three things. Uh, and then the final answer is, uh, is every single place that some Apple developer buried 3D Touch useful? And that's definitely no. Like, even Apple, even the stuff they demoed, I'm like, that's a little bit too much pressing really hard into my phone screen, Apple. But, you know, it's like the, you know, 80-20 rule or whatever. Uh, people are only going to use 20% of the functionality, but that's not even the 80-20 rule. Anyway, everyone will use a different 20%. So, I am optimistic about 3D Touch. I like the new little vibrate thing, the little Taptic Engine. I'm a little bit scared at how much battery space that's taking up, but I guess you get some space savings. Didn't they say they did a shrink on the A9 in, in Apple parlance? In not so many words, but yes. Well, they shrunk the battery a little bit, too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they shrunk. I mean, they had to. Like, the Taptic engine is gigantic. Yeah, and the screen is thicker. I, I'm excited by the Taptic uh, engine. I'm assuming the battery life will be similar because it's, it's an S-generation. You get the benefits of everything else using less power and having better parts and blah, blah, blah. So it's probably break-even. We didn't even mention that, by the way, the iPad Pro, that they have this massive device with four speakers uh, and they have all this room for battery. But they said, you know what? 10 hours. It's the iPad rule of the law. <laughs> the, the hard and fast iPad rule. But it's gigantic. It's 10. I said 10 hours. What should we do the rest of the space? <laughs> I don't know. Add, add more speakers. Well, because, I mean, weight <laughs> is the biggest problem there. You know, like they. Uh, I mean, it, well, is it a problem? Like I said, just make it as heavy as you want. It's well, it's already yeah, it's already heavier than the first iPad, and it's bigger. So I mean, I I already think yeah, I already think it's going to be. Uh, well, keep in mind, a lot of people still want 
their iPad to be this thing they hold up in bed and hits them in the face when they fall asleep. Like oh, it, this is going to do some damage. Thirteen inches coming down on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's why. Like I, I really don't think they could have added more weight. Believe me, I am all for adding battery life. Uh, but I also know that batteries are very heavy, and in this ca- in the case of the iPhone six, I think it should have a bigger battery. In the case of the iPad Pro, though, if it's already that heavy. With the battery it has, I don't think they can afford to put more in there. Can I hear 11 hours or 12? Like, anyway, I'm sure it's fine. Ten hour, I don't have a problem with iPad battery life. 10 hours has always been an honest 10 hours. Not really when gaming, but it's still like I don't ask it. I don't ask my iPad to do the type of stuff. I think I think you're right about weight becoming a factor. But like if anything is going to be a gigantic thing, that you like, like this is it. This is the one. This is the one that's going to be super heavy. It already is super heavy. Make it super heavier. The fact that they use that space for like baffles for the speakers to make them sound better, I think it's kind of a good idea because that's kind of a pro feature. And if you are like, I do all my television watching on my iPad uh, and I do it all on my couch and on my bed, this is the one to get because the sound is going to be way better and the screen is going to be gorgeous. There's way too many pixels to show 1080 video, but what do people care? Maybe you can do picture in picture and browse Twitter while you're doing it, whatever. Um, anyway, we got off on the, the iPhone 6 thing. I, I agree with you that on the 6, battery life... They didn't didn't say anything about it, did they? I um, don't think so. They said it was the same. Yeah, I mean, like that's what they're going for. It will probably be same ish. A lot of friends have been asking me, "Hey, is is this iPhone six a good phone to get?" And uh, especially people upgrading from like fives and stuff, it's like, yeah, that, like it's you know the S generation is usually great to get. If you haven't had a phone with Touch ID, Touch ID is awesome. You should totally get it. Uh, the S generation is usually have fewer weirdnesses than the, than the, the first one in terms of like they've made phones this size and shape before uh but this one has more internal changes than usual and so i guess the battery is a question and maybe the taptic engine is a question based on the wonkiness of the taptic engine in the uh the initial watches sometimes now when i feel my taps on my wrist i'm like is that feeling lighter than it used to but i think i might just be imagining things anyway i have the same problem yeah, we're just getting uh, tap numbness on our wrists. Um, the, the camera's a little bit better. Like, it has the 3D touch. Uh, this seems like a really great phone to me. The only uh, reservations I have are, I guess, battery life. And then, I guess, maybe 3D touch could go horribly wrong and be accidentally activated all the time and make you hate the phone. But that's about the only bad things I can even worry about in the slightest about this phone. Otherwise it just seems like a really good phone to me. And it actually, this is my first time guys, my first time feeling bad that now I don't have the good iPhone. (laughs) And I felt it. I totally felt it. I'm like, Oh, this is what everyone's been talking about. This sucks. Cause I, cause I want one. I want, I want to do all this stuff. Cause they, they never updated the iPod touch. You never had to worry about that. Yeah. When they did, I just bought it. I always just bought it. Right. (laughs) But I'm, I looked at this and I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't buy this. I'll just wait for the seven. But you can have one now for starting at $27 a month or whatever. I think that all that deal, you should, by the way, uh, Casey, to talk you out of doing this deal, I'm pretty sure that deal is a worse deal than just buying yourself a new phone every year. I think it's just like a sophisticated way to loan money and pay interest. That's I just looked at it for two seconds, but I think that's what it is. Yeah, I haven't done the spreadsheets or anything. Um I think that's right. I think you stand to make a little bit of money, so to speak, if you were going to get Apple Care and going to upgrade annually. Then you may shave a few dollars, you know, a little bit of money. Mm, I don't know about that. 
I think I saw it. I saw a bank's name associated with it. So it makes me think that it's a yes. people for people who have cash flow problems. It's a way to like, it's just, it's just a loan. Like we will give you, you, know, you make these payments. There is some interest. So it is more expensive in the long run than paying for it all up front. But if you don't have the cash to pay for it all up front and break your contract or whatever, do this. Someone seems like someone's making money off this. It does not seem like something that would be done out of the goodness of anyone's heart to let you get a new phone every year for less money. It's got to be either the same money or more money. Uh, which I'm not saying it's a good idea. If people have cash flow problems and they want to have a new phone every year, uh, or even just for convenience for people who have plenty of money, like the Grubers of the world who just are going to get a phone every year, every year and don't want to have to think about it. Uh, but for me, what I thought about is, what if I really like the 7S and the 8 comes out and I don't like it? Then, like, I'm, you know, I don't have to get the 8. I can keep going through the thing, but I just feel like I'm on a, on a, on a program. I would, I would stay away from it and just, you know reserve the right to keep a phone for like four years if i really hate a certain round of, of iphones but again i say this just as being someone who was sad that my phone now sucks because it's not a success yeah isn't that isn't that terrible so you're not going to get yourself a success no i'm not gonna i, I mean I'm, my mac is eight years old for crying a lot i'm pretty good at not, <laughs> not <buying. laughs> what, what i use is the promise of the as yet undefined non-existent seven i have no idea what the seven's gonna be like but it could be amazing and that will keep me the fantasy of the seven yeah i mean you're gonna want that next year you know that well i'm gonna get the seven <laughs> you know but i'm not gonna get my wife will get the six i won't get it so it'll be fine now, i'm actually I, i'm as much as i as i've ragged on it i actually am looking forward to the uh sorry 3d touch i was gonna say force touch D- did apple just realize that's a creepy name and just stop yeah. using it cfed said force touch in the uh the keynote so, so it's probably been force touch until like the marketing people decided three weeks ago that it was going to be 3D touch. And so Federighi and everyone else at Apple keeps calling it force touch. Well, for, force touch is always a terrible, creepy name. But anyway, uh, so, you know, whatever we're calling those shortcuts, 3D touch, whatever they are, uh, I'm looking forward to that as a user because, you know, A, that cuts down on having to reach for edges and corners, which makes larger phones more usable. Uh, including both the 6 and the 6 Plus for people whose hands are normally sized. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that uh, just as a user, just like, you know, let me try these things. And, and of course, as a developer, I think, you know, usually every developer, myself included, rationalizes hardware purchases unnecessarily by saying, well, I need this for testing so I can make my app better. And, you know, sometimes that's true. A lot of times it's not. Uh, I think in this case that actually might be more true than usual just because if this 3d touch thing takes off which it probably will because it's a really convenient shortcut on the most frequently used computer most of us use uh so if it takes off and it doesn't suck the way john you know you said it, you know it could theoretically flake out and be unreliable but if it's good and and if it works i think it's going to be a pretty big deal for uh, app design and so i think developers should should be paying attention more than usual for for an iphone release to this but we're probably all going to buy it anyway oh that's one question i didn't see maybe i didn't pay enough attention does the ipad pro have 3d touch and if not why not i don't think it does they didn't mention that at all (laughs) i I mean it's just like the the stylus the pressure sensitivity is in the stylus right it's not in the screen yes my understanding but on the phone the pressure sensitivity seems to be in the screen so maybe the ipad pro just doesn't have the hardware for it yeah, it seemed it seems like it is not there at all, um, but anyway, doesn't really matter. I mean, they they can achieve it through the pen anyway, and, and you know one thing. But they can't achieve it through your finger, though. Is what I'm getting at. If you buy an iPad Pro and you press really hard on an icon on your home screen in your iPad Pro, nothing happens, right? 
Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, because that if you get used to that, it, it, it it's like that one year where they had touch ID on the phone, but they didn't have it on the iPad yet. Yeah, and you just kept you just kept resting your finger on these little uh, 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 convex or uh, concave uh, home buttons, and nothing would happen. You're like, this thing is broken. Yeah, like, like once you get accustomed to that on one on one iOS device, yeah, if you can't do it on the other one, that that's that's a problem. Um, yeah, well, hey, next year you think you, they they got to make make all the people buy a new iPad Pro every year, just the same way they buy a new MacBook every year for the same price. Eh, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this how this all shakes out. I am a little disappointed. Also, I uh, tweeted about this earlier. I'm a little. Dis- we didn't even get really a chance to talk about the keyboard case much, but I am disappointed that it seems like there's nowhere to put the Apple Pencil. Anywhere in the iPad or I'll in the show case. You where you can put it. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, to quote, to quote Steve, that Steve Jobs thing that I maybe I just imagined, but I still always think about. What should I do with this? I'll show you what you can do with it. Uh, oh man! And you just just plug it into the lightning board. It's super convenient. It just sticks <laughs> out on this tiny little metal thing that's easy to break off and stabs you in the belly button. That's gonna yeah. <laughs> Thank God it has allegedly very good battery life and charges very quickly because that is a recipe for just breaking those things off everywhere. Yeah, or just it's another recipe for people to make artisanal handcrafted wood carved like from driftwood <laughs> found on a beach holsters for your pen that it has a lightning connector built in and it'll be kickstarter for it in 10 minutes, don't worry. Yeah, they they're, they're going to sell a lot of those pens. It's a pencil, not a pen. Sorry, pencil. <sighs> Concentrate. We're on the phone now. What are we talking about? Oh yeah. Good grief, you two. It's been a long show. They, they just added an S in a box. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like something right. that you want to talk about, about the phone, Casey. They are moving to 4K video, and that's kind of exciting and also scary since it's still being sold in 16 gigs. Yeah, I, someone should do the math and say, after you have the OS and all the standard apps installed, how much 4K video can you record before the thing fills up? It depends on the bit rate, but I can tell you it's probably on the order of uh, about 10 minutes. I thought somebody did the math and said 30, but that wasn't inclusive of the OS. Also, since I'm talking real-time follow-up, it is a Sapphire Crystal lens cover as per the specs page. Nice. All right. So never mind that person. There you so, go. I mean, and yeah, 4K video is huge. I mean, the fact is, like, you can look at the entire rest of their lineup where, like, the iPhone, their flagship product that makes them the most money, has the stingiest storage pricing and not the lowest prices to start, by the way. Like, you know, this is still like a $600 device. Uh, the the stingiest storage uh, out of the whole lineup. And there there is no other explanation for this. You know, like I heard, like I was talking to uh, to a friend of the show, Renee Ritchie. He, he, wrote, he just wrote a uh, an article about this. We'll have, we'll have to find it linked in the show notes of like, why do they still, or why might they still use 16, 64, 128? And there's some kind of like, like, like a difference in RAM types uh, in like the flash RAM type uh, that's available for like one of them's cheap, one of them's expensive, and it's not available in these capacities or whatever. Um, so that 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 could be a reason. You know, with the iPhone, they have to do things in such large volume compared to the other products. Uh, oh, the easy the easy reason is because the six did. That's the answer. Why does the 6S do it? Because six did, and then the, then you ask why did the six do it, and then you can get into the RAM uh, types and then the sizes and all of the stuff, but. It's a shame either way. Like in, in the grand scheme of things, like, it's not our problem. It's Apple's job to figure out how the hell to make products that aren't crappy. Right. Uh, well, and, and, and they sell lots of 32 gig flash products at very cheap prices. So, you know, it's, it is not like they can't do it. Uh, and, and I think, I think the real reason here is just because they know that it drives up the average selling price of their most profitable, most successful product. 
that that has to be the answer do, you know do they know that though because they never break that down for us like we assume it does like with the whole anchoring and it's like well i don't want the small one i don't want the big one i want the middle one but the middle one you know like we, the whole anchoring thing is it's surely a thing apple probably does know but i don't think we can know unless maybe again horace knows because he does some crazy algebra to to solve a simultaneous series of equations to figure out exactly how many 16s but like i i don't know what the mix is like the 16 just seems like i want an iphone and i want to get out i want the cheapest iphone possible it used to be you guys were mac users in the days when or even iphone users the best-selling product in any apple product line used to be the most expensive one it's kind of like i remember when like the, the phantom menace trailer was downloaded apple was like and most people downloaded the biggest version of the trailer like well no duh like <laughs> star wars fans given a choice of what size would you like to see the trailer for this new star wars movie you're waiting your whole life for the biggest is the answer and so it used to be what's the best-selling apple laptop the most expensive model not counting the 17 this was pre-17 but that changed many years ago when Apple became more of a mass market thing. And now I don't you know if that's the case. Maybe it still is. Like, remember, it used to be like, well, the 5S is obviously the, the best-selling phone. Uh, but that doesn't get into capacities. Is the 16? Are people like, I really want an iPhone 6, and the cheapest way I can get it is 16? Like, I worry that that, that size is sucking people in because they really want the the new iphone and that's the cheapest way they can get it and that's just that's just not a good product i feel like app thinning aside on-demand resources aside that product gives a persistently bad experience in ways that are super frustrating to regular people 16 gigs is not appropriate i couldn't agree more and i feel this is all anecdotal but i feel like more and more regular people that i know have lamented to me just in general or because I'm that Apple guy they know about how Apple has written terrible software because they can't upgrade their OS and their phone is mm-hmm. always full and everything's always broken and it's all Apple's fault. And explaining to them that they bought a cheap phone doesn't usually end well. So And, and it is Apple. Like, here's the thing. Like, every phone is going to run out of space eventually if you fill it with stuff. Like, but the, we know the failure mode is so bad, and we know regular people have no idea what to do. Like, and the iCloud thing is another example of that. This, this dialog box keeps coming up telling me I can't back up. Because, like, all those failure modes are really bad. You just got to try to find a sweet spot where most people fit within it. And 16 is not, 16 is just too low. I mean, they keep making these, like the 4K video, the size of the pictures, and now your still pictures are also videos. Forget it. Like, 16 gigs, oh, just. It's terrible. It's ter- I, I understand why they were probably kind of stuck with it with the 6. And I kind of understand the, the RAM thing, too, because if they're making the battery smaller, that's not the time to add more RAM. They really need to fix this in the 7. I really hope that I'm super excited about the iPad Pro having 4 gigs. Like, that shows that maybe someone, you know, because they didn't have to. Like, I think you could maybe get away with it with, with 2 gigs, you know, but like 4 gigs after the iPad Air 2 had 2 that's a positive trend. I really hope they sort it out with it. I know we're mixing RAM and memory kind of like, who was it did that in the keynote? Phil Schiller or somebody? Um, RAM and storage. But anyway, both on both those fronts, they've both been problematic for different reasons. 16 gigs. Uh, friends don't let friends buy the 16 gig uh, iPhone success. They should have like a, <laughs> a, a fund, uh, just a giant pool or tech nerds who will lose sleep if people they know have 16 gig phones. Just put money in a giant pot and every time someone goes to an Apple store and buys a 16 gig 6, 6S, the Apple person will say, oh, and by the way, even though you've chosen the 16 gig model and we're about to give me your credit card, I can pull money out of this giant jar and give you the 32 because no one should own the 16. <laughs> All right. So 
the only other thing that I thought was well that I thought at this hour of the night was really interesting about the uh the six S's uh is this live what do they call them live photos the Harry the, Potter photos yeah the Harry Potter photos yeah. I can't decide if this is freaking brilliant or the cheesiest like um animated emoji thing that I've seen since animated emoji I think it's nice I mean uh... Especially, I, I found this too. I find myself not regretting how many pictures I've taken of my kids, but wishing I had more video. Video just seems more onerous to me, and this is a nice sort of compromise that, like, I would use this feature if I had it because I like to have a little bit of, you know, I like to see them in motion and hear what their squeaky little voices sound like. You know, I have video of them, I have plenty of video, but I feel like I, I wish I had more video. Uh, and I think I've got them photographically covered, but I wish I had more video. And if this is a way to get more people to take more video, you just need a few seconds to see, like, what was your kid like when he or she was five or two or seven? Uh, and this gives enough of a flavor of it, I feel like, especially since there's sound uh, involved in it. I don't think you'd take every picture like this, especially if you have a 16 gig phone, but it's cute. I don't I don't like the fact that you have to like press hard and it goes all blurry and comes back in. I don't like that whole interaction for doing this. Yes, I agree. But uh, I like the idea that it you know takes video. It's, it's one of the fun things you can do when you have a really fast processor. Uh, in your phone, right? They they said a couple of times, I'm pretty sure this is the case, that those are 12 megapixel videos, which is higher resolution than 4K. Uh, so they're, they're actually like, that that little video clip you're getting there is better than what you can get in 4K. Yeah, so. that, that's a feature that they, on, on actual expensive dedicated cameras for a long time, it was, you know, a, a high-end feature to be like, and while you're shooting video, you can shoot stills in the middle of the video. Like, it's not, you know, phones have crappy processors or whatever, but at a certain point, even the crappy processors in dedicated phones were fast enough. And surely the A9 is plenty fast enough to do this for limited amounts of time, blah, 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 blah. So it's perfect for this feature. Like, They've got the camera. They've got the capacity. They're not. It's not like it's taking like oh, then your photo is going to be like 720p or whatever. Or you're even 4K, full res the whole time, but for a short period of time. I think it's. I think it's cute. I, honestly, before the event, based on just the rumors we had heard, I was not that excited about the iPhone's success, and I was actually thinking about not getting one for the first time. It would be the first iPhone I've ever skipped. Delusional. Um, yeah, but but <laughs> yeah, you uh, know, I also am not going to buy a watch. Right, exactly. And and you're not going to buy an Apple TV or an iPad Pro. Well, uh, one of those I think will be true. I'm not sure which one. Yeah. I think Casey's not going to buy an iPad Pro. I'm not even sure if I'm going to buy one. You're probably going to buy a Mini 4. That is very, very likely. Isn't it isn't it weird by the way that this is the first year where the 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 10-inch sized iPad did not get an update and also didn't get a price drop? <laughs> it did it did get a price drop, didn't it? No, the Air 2 is the same as last year. Is it? And it's still the same price. Oh, maybe they already gave it. Anyway, the Air 2 was so overspec when it was introduced that it has more headroom. It's interesting that, that we are now, we're now back to the point where we were when, when the Retina uh, Mini was first launched, Casey's beloved Retina Pad Mini. We're back to the point now where the only difference between the, the Mini and the big one is size and $100. That's as it should be, I feel like, you know, and the same thing. Like, I, I think it's appropriate for the success to have two gigs of RAM. And I think if that's true, this is all everything's everything's coming up Millhouse. Even even the color we're like, oh, you know, it was going to be pink and look at these pink screenshots. So it's not going to be pink. Well, we're right and wrong. The It's not pink. It's rose gold. But the rose gold looks pink. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so what the hell to make of that? Uh, trying to wrap it up. Uh, based on what we've seen today, what are you guys planning on buying out of these products? Casey? I am pretty sure that I'm going to be getting a new Retina Pad Mini. 
I might try to hold on until I can play with an iPad Pro just so I know that I'm making the right decision, but I will I will be stunned if I decide, no, 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 I want a 13-inch iPad. Um, I absolutely will be getting Aaron and I both a 6S. We are not crazy people, so we are not, get, we are not part of the Plus Club, and I'm 50-50 on the Apple TV. Sitting here now, I'm going to say no, which means, yes, I just haven't realized it. <laughs> John? I'm definitely getting the Apple TV, 100%. Uh, the iPad Pro, I can see myself getting it. Uh, I really have to try it and see. I, what I really, I, again, I'm totally gung-ho for the iPad Pro. I want this product to exist. I'm just not sure I'm going to be the one to buy it. I would love every single feature on that iPad Pro in an iPad Air 2-sized t- device with a thicker border around the screen for me to grab with my big fat thumbs. But that product doesn't <laughs> exist, so I'll have to evaluate the iPad Pro. I might get it because my ipad uh, uh ipad 3 it's getting a little long on the tooth these days i do a lot more on my phone because it's just so much faster uh so i will i will definitely check it out uh no new watches for me no success for me my wife will probably get a success and i will be buying a new apple tv tiff and i are both going to get the 6s and the the ipad i i do I mean, I think I'm going to skip it. I, I, it looks really interesting for people who aren't me, and it's it is a lot of money. I, I think if I if I'm going to have a a small device with a medium amount of battery life that has a crappy keyboard uh, that's really portable, I think I'd get another MacBook One. Uh, I, I think I that would fit me better because I I really am more of a Mac person than an iOS person for getting quote work done. You know, the kind of stuff I do really is better on a Mac. Even even a small slow one with a bad keyboard, I'd rather have that, I think, than an iPad. So fair enough. I forgot to crush Casey's uh, Plex dreams, and I realized maybe I don't need to crush them. But what I was going to crush them was like I was assuming that you would want to store the video on there, and apps can't have local storage. But if you just use it as a client, and all the video was on your Synology, and you just were transcoding on the Apple TV, uh, maybe it won't crush your dreams. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean. Uh, my assumption is that the Plex stuff would work basically as it is now, which is I just stream from my Synology and that's all I need. But we'll see what happens. All right. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week, Cards Against Humanity, Casper, and Fracture. And don't forget to check out the uh, St. Jude donation that we talked about earlier for uh, September being Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, thanks a lot to our three sponsors and that, and we will see you next week. <laughs> Now the show is over They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh it was accidental Accidental. And you can find the show notes At atp.fm And if you're into Twitter I like who did it first there. Because I think that that covers a lot of the whole. I mean, I didn't hear a lot of this complaining, maybe because I'm not traveling these circles. But like, 
like I saw someone post like an old comic when the Surface came out of showing like, yeah, the new iPad with the keyboard cover. Like, guys, keyboard covers existed for the iPad. Like, you know, it's not. Can you believe Apple did a thing like this? Yep, I can totally believe it. Everybody can believe it. It is not a surprise. And it is not. And like, and if anyone is out there complaining, like, was Apple be like, we are the first people to make it? No, they didn't. They didn't say that at all. They didn't even do their normal thing of like, we think this is the best one ever and past ones and other ones people made it crappy. They didn't even say that. They're just like, oh, no, they said that. They did. They did. They did not say this is the first time you've seen it, but they did say this is the best one you've ever seen or something like that. Yeah, I, don't I promise. I, I, on that. I, I mean, promise. They just said the best, the best thing they've ever made. But anyway, whatever. It just it seemed like that was not a big angle. And I, if people are angry about it, I didn't see them in my feed. Are people really getting angry? Like, people have made pens before. Apple's like making the, like they invented the pen. No, they weren't. I think the thing is, it was just so egregious and so obvious. It but it's, but it's like, not egregious. Like this again. Like who did it first? Or the freaking Newton? Like for crying out loud, is not, has another company? It's it's the same company. It was Apple. Apple did that. Like well, I guess, you it, know, it was them. It, it's like take take Touch ID as a great counter example. Touch ID was taking the same idea and making it better or better or if you will. But this not might not even be better. It's just a keyboard cover. Logitech's been making them for years. Like no, no, that's it, my it, point. It has, it has a port. The, yeah, you're making my point, which is Touch ID was like, remember the little swipey thing like I had on yep, my keyboard? Yep, they're terrible. It, it was like that, but they made it better. Whereas what they've done looks like a straight rip of the Surface keyboard. But, but it's not a, stri- a rip. It's like this is the time when they're going to add these features to their product. It's not as if they didn't think these features were possible before. They weren't not adding them because they weren't possible. Apple's had this stylus patents going. Like, how many years ago have we seen stylus patents? Like, it just... It's just like, when is the right time to do this? It's not like we can't figure out how to do it or whatever. It's them deciding what is the appropriate feature set for our products and then doing it. So, I, I, you know, I, I didn't see that complaining, but a little tiny bit bubbled up. I'm like, seriously, is this what people are on about? Because I didn't get that vibe at all from the keynote. It was more it was more like iOS 8, where like some people couldn't get over the fact that Android had these features when everyone else is like, yeah, but now iOS has them and we like iOS. So we're excited that we get them. And we've been saying for years they should have them and they should. It's like, well, you're copying Android. That, I think, is even more of a case of, like, Android, you know, or Palm OS or Web OS, for crying out loud, had a lot of these ideas with the card metaphor and the multitask. Like, it's, it's just ridiculous. The whole, the whole idea of worrying about who did something first in these basic functional things. Like, I can't make a computer with a mouse. Someone already did that. No, just put a mouse on it. It's fine. 